This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Isn't it bullshit to have to question where your food comes from? At Vital Farms, you can trace your pasture-raised eggs all the way back to the source, the pasture. On the side of each pasture-raised carton of eggs, you'll find the name of the farm where your eggs were laid. And when you look the farm up on their website, you'll get a peek at all the sunshine, fresh air, and open space the hens enjoy. Learn more and find out where to buy them at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit-free. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone. Plus, spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West End podcast, and this week's episode is sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk, where you can win some priceless pieces of signed football memorabilia each and every week. In this week's draw, you can win a bumper West Ham bundle, which includes a signed and framed Saeed Benrahma shirt, a signed and framed Trevor Brookin montage, and any one of the three West Ham replica shirts from this season. Tickets are just £2.95 each, just £199 will be sold, which gives you a fantastic chance of winning that great prize. Entries close at 7.30pm on Thursday and the draw is made an hour later live on Facebook. There's been some fantastic signed pieces from Paolo Di Canio, Declan Rice and Vladimir Soufal up for grabs since their launch. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. Well, 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 West Ham United have won on the opening day of the season for the first time in six years. Cheku Kiate and Mauro Zarate scored the Hammers' goals in 2015 as Slaven Bilic's men beat Arsenal 2-0. And although Sunday's win at Newcastle was probably more likely than that famous victory at the Emirates, it feels almost as good. It's such a horrible feeling when you lose the first games. It feels like you're playing catch-up from day one. And although we did well... After a losing start last season, it feels fantastic to get the first three points in the bag already and to do it in such emphatic fashion and away from home makes it all the sweeter. David Moyes men already fourth in the league. Saeed Benrahma looks like a new man and more than ready to fill the Jesse Lingard void. Aaron Cresswell has carried on his great form from last season and Mikel Antonio looks razor sharp and at his brilliant bullying best. We still haven't signed an outfield player. We're barely being linked with anyone either, which is a major concern, but there's still time until the transfer window shuts. So for now, let's just bask in the glory of a brilliant 
opening day win. And what better man to bask with than one who loves West Ham just as much as we do, but also happens to have scored 146 goals for our beloved club over two spells and is one of the greatest strikers ever to wear the claret and blue. It is, of course, friend of the podcast and all-round top man, Tony Cotty. Tony, first of all, how are you? Uh, I'm very good, chaps, and even better after watching that performance on Sunday. Um, as you well know, I'm, I'm definitely a hammer. We all know I'm a hammer, and I was just absolutely thrilled to watch the game. Um, not just the result, but the performance as well. So, you know, as you quite rightly said there, Will, it's, it, it, it's always pressure time, that first game of the season. And I think to, to get the result, it settles down the players and just as importantly, settles down the fans as well. So I think we all... Well, I didn't go to work on Monday, obviously, but those of us who did go to work on Monday, because I haven't got a job at the moment, but those who did go to work on Monday, um, yeah, I think they would have had a nice big smile on their face. Absolutely. James, I am here with you, of course, as well. Sorry I didn't pick you up quite as much as I did, Tony, but you've only scored one goal at the London Stadium, haven't you? Which we'll yeah. get on to later. But, um, that's, one more than me. that's one more than me, though, Will. That's <laughs> that's, that's... To be fair, yeah, that, that's very true. 145 more goals than me for West Ham, but I've got, I'm have got i leading the London Stadium race. Yeah, are yeah, you a better striker that. than Tony Cutty then, James? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Only in my dreams. Yeah. yeah. How dreams. are you then, mate? Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, just still on a bit of a high, as, as Tony said after after that win on Sunday. It's just um, particularly when you go home two one down at half time, you you kind of do fear the worst. Even though we were good last year, weren't we? Sort of coming from behind. So um, yeah, absolutely buzzing, and I'm looking forward to Leicester on Monday night finally getting over the London Stadium. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, it'll be uh, good to get back to a home game again. It was, I think, think like it was good. It was wonderful to start, wasn't it? At Newcastle with such an iconic ground and with such a good atmosphere, and uh, obviously brilliant for the three thousand or so away fans in that um, sitting right up in the gods. So that was wonderful, Tony. You've uh, you've touched on it already. We're absolutely delighted to have you with us for the whole show tonight. Um, just to sort of kick off with how have you been and all that. The one, the main big piece of news recently from a, a personal side of it or professional. Side side of things from you is obviously um, parting ways with Sky after two decades with the broadcast. So you're a famous face. Uh, we all love watching you, obviously. Um, sorry to hear that news. Sort of how, did, how did that come about? How are you feeling about it? Uh, yeah, obviously disappointed, Will. Um, you know, 20 years is a long time. Um, you know, I think you can break my life down very easily, really. I had sort of 15 years preparing to be a footballer. Then I then had 20 years as a footballer. And then I had 20 years as a broadcaster takes me up to the ripe old age of 56, as I've just turned now. And, um, yeah, it's it, it's sort of, um, I'm a bit gutted, I've got to be honest, you know, because it's, uh, you know, just as an example, last Saturday, just gone, you know, I know I watched West Ham on the Sunday, which was great, but on the Saturday, it was the first time in 20 years that I've not been involved with, with Sky. And yeah. probably the first time in 20 years that I've not been involved in, well, in 40 years, probably, in football, because I would have had the 20 years before, you know, obviously as a player. So it was a little bit weird. Um, you know, no football for me to go to. Um, ended up, luckily I had a family party or a friend's party around the corner. So I, it's fair to say I had a few beers at that and um, <laughs> sat, down on, sat down on Sunday and looked forward to, to the football. Um, but it's, although I'm a little bit disappointed with how things have ended, um, I also think that I'm quite excited as well because I think there hopefully will be things around the corner for me to get my teeth into even just having the time to do things like this with you boys, you know, it's just something different for me. Um, a little bit of a breath of fresh air. And uh, I, it, I honestly don't know what the future holds for me. I really don't. I, I, I had no plans because you know, I didn't expect not to be at Sky this season. So there's no plans in place. Um, 
the one thing that I can guarantee is that I will be at as many home West Ham games as possible and, and hopefully quite a few away games as well. Um, and with a little bit of luck, I might get the chance to do a little bit more work with the football club, with, with West Ham, obviously. So, that you know, that will be the positive sign of things coming out of it. But, um, yeah, I can't pretend otherwise. It's, it's always disappointing when you sort of, you know, get moved on and, you know, the next generation come in. But, you know, I've had a great run. I had 20 great years, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, absolutely. So what your your tweet uh, it was obviously quite recently, Tony. Was it, uh, you said you were surprised there. Was it something that um, you got told about a bit earlier in the summer and you weren't allowed to announce it till then? Or was it quite a short sort of short notice thing? No, it was, it was short notice, Will. And that was one of the things that, you know, I was a little bit disappointed about. You know, when you get to the Monday before the start of the season on the Saturday, um, you know, I think it's fair to say most people, People have got plans in place of who they're going to use. Um, but, you know, it never been any different for me. I'd always sort of had a nice summer. You know, you you don't get lots and lots of interaction, as in texts and phone calls from yeah, the Scotland. Yeah. Way. That's just the way of the world. This, I'm not criticising for that. That's just how it is. I yeah. get that. So I had nothing through the summer. And then, of course, I hadn't heard anything. I, I managed to, um, you know, get away in, in Portugal for a week just to recharge the batteries. And when I came back, I hadn't heard anything. So... You know, I just naturally texted to, to see where I was on the Saturday. And when the reply came back, it wasn't really what I wanted to hear. So, um, yeah, I think it, it could, I could have been told certainly a lot earlier, I think. And that would have made life a little bit easier for me. But um, listen, onwards and upwards. And, this, you know, I've just got to get on with things. And as I say, get me, get me teeth into other things. Yeah, yeah. 20 years. That's, uh, like you say, I, I got you up to... It's about um... the same age as you two, by the looks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't group us in together, Tony. James is considerably <laughs> older than me. Um, Jonesy, uh, I, I, I was going to wait until you brought it up. Um, it's one I want to get out of the way nice and quickly. The last time we saw Tony in person was at the London Stadium for the Betway end of season uh, game that we had on the pitch. Tony was our manager. Um, had I known that before, I probably would have done a little bit more pre-match running. But uh, <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to talk about the goal, Jonesy? Now, or do you want to ask Tony for his view on it, or are you worried it might mar your memory? Well, I, I barely remember it because I was so knackered when the ball came to me, um, and I remember I was calling Tony, wouldn't I? I was calling him, take me off because I was absolutely shattered. Um, so I, I barely remember it. So I don't remember Tony whether you can sort of help help fill in the gaps for me because. It's, I remember the ball in the back of the net, but that's about it for me. Yeah, I think that probably sums it up nicely, I think, James, doesn't it? The ball, yeah, remember the ball in the back of the net. Um, I think there was quite a few wanting to come off, and that was after about five minutes, I think. And they were blowing yeah. out of areas yeah. they shouldn't have been blowing out of, I think. so. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a great fun, wasn't it? And I really, really enjoyed the day. I hope you boys enjoyed the day as well. Yeah, it was good. It was good, uh, Jonesy. Um, it, it's obviously been a uh, been quite an exciting uh, time since, um, the, you know, the, with the opening game of the season and all that. One thing that has been going on in the background is, of course, this talk of the uh, potential takeover from PAI Capital. So, Tony, actually, I will throw to you first. Just one thing uh, to, to to clear up. There has been some reports. Obviously, Rio and Anton Ferdinand, we know, are involved. Yeah. Um, there have been some reports uh, from various sources, mainly Twitter, to be fair, that have suggested, you know, the idea that some legends are involved. Your name always comes up when that word is used. Have you had any involvement with the PAI Capital up until now? Well, I think what happens, Will, is obviously whenever there's any talk of a takeover, like my name, it always gets thrown into the hat. Um, you know, I was involved, as most people know, in the Lands Banky takeover back in 2006 and 
you know, there was other people talking to me as well. <laughs> Excuse me, when <clears throat> when uh, David Sullivan, David Gold took over in 2010. So, you know, I've always always had an interest in what's going on. You know, particularly off the field, really. You know, it's always been um, an ambition of mine, if you like, to sort of work behind the scenes at the club and and be involved at the club I love. And you know, that's that's not changed. I still would like to do that. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not happened. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking in, as we all are at the moment as fans, and we're just trying to work out exactly what's happening. Um, you know, I know it's become public now about PAI and, and you know, their, their bid. Um, and then it's there's been a few exchanges, hasn't there, with David Sullivan. So, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, perhaps the guys can get together. And if, it, you know, all I want, and I can say this publicly, and I'll say it, and I'm sure the fans will agree with me, I want what's best for the club. I don't want what's best for any potential takeover group. I don't really want what's best for David Sullivan and David Gutt. I want what's best for West Ham United Football Club. That is the main um, thing involved in this, if you like. And, you know, the, the owners are, I always say, they're, they're, they're not the owners, they're the custodians you know, they look after the football club for all of us. You know, our football club goes back to 1895 with the origins, probably slightly before that in terms of the preparation. So it's been going a long, long time. And we all want what's best for the football club. You know, what we can say at this moment in time is the football club is in a really, really good place. And that's really, really important because there's been many a season, and you boys will know this as fans, you know, where we've you know been looking forward to the season with dread, you know, oh God, another relegation battle coming up. You know, as we're, we're all three of us and many more that are going to listen and watch this. That you know, we're, we're happy hammers at the moment. You know, we've we've just had a fantastic result against Newcastle. We've got a European campaign to come up. You know, we've got an exciting season with exciting players. And I just want what's best for the football club. That's pretty much all I can say about the matter at the moment because I really don't know the ins and outs of what's going on. Okay, that's that's great stuff. I mean, we'll go into it in a bit more detail later on. Um, but there's just again, there's, there were some suggestions that you were already involved. So I just wanted to clear. That's that called up. social media, Will. You know what? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. The joys of Twitter, eh? Yeah. But um, yeah, well, we got, got that one out of the way um, early on. We don't have to talk about James's goal anymore or um, the stuff at Sky. Very much a, a looking forward. Uh, podcast from now on in we'll get into the PAI capital stuff in a bit more later on in the show uh the Philip Beard was on talk sport today actually um I, I don't know if you guys managed to listen oh, but I, I took some notes was... early no 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 so I, I took some notes for that earlier on so we'll get onto that later in the show I'll do a bit of housekeeping first of all you can follow us on social media on twitter we're at we are underscore West Ham, where we are West Ham Pod on Instagram. You can search for the We Are West Ham podcast on Facebook for our Facebook page. Uh, same with YouTube for our YouTube channel, where you can watch this show. And uh, of course, we'll be posting snippets from uh, from what Tony's got to say um, about everything and anything concerning the Hammers. So head on over to our YouTube if you want to watch some of this. You can, of course, get in touch via email at We Are West Ham Pod at Gmail. Dot com. All the links to our social channels and the way you can contact us are listed in the description to this podcast. You can buy us a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham. So before we get on to the podcast proper, just to let you know what is coming up on the show tonight, we've got West Ham legend Tony Cotty with us for the full two hours of the show. We're 15 minutes in and I'm already loving it. 
But the topics we'll cover is uh, reaction, of course, to that fantastic win at Newcastle. We've got the Betway charity bet section, and we already have a winner just one game into the season, some money for Isla's fight, which is brilliant. We've got an opposition view, which we'll hear from Tony, of course, played for Leicester City as well as West Ham. We'll have a Q&A session with Tony before we say goodbye for another week. Jonesy, it's, uh, it's a pretty exciting one. Tonight, I must admit, Tony, I hope you don't mind. Uh, we normally do get a, a, a former player uh, or a, an opposition journalist or a fellow fan in for our opposition view, but we thought we've got a former Leicester City striker, 100 games need. for the Foxes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you'll be doing that for us as well, if that's all right. But, Jonesy, exciting show coming up tonight, isn't it? Yeah, looking forward to it. It's, it's always nice doing these after a win. It's only, it wasn't long ago, wasn't long ago uh, particularly not those two games after... The, the restart when we lost to Wolves and Tottenham and it was just doom and gloom and just the worst podcast we've ever done. But it just feels a lot better now, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly, better. mate. Exactly, mate. Yeah, we could have been asking you to come on for a 20-minute show if we'd lost at the weekend, Tony, rather than the, the full blow. But anyway, stay with us because it's Newcastle Reaction next. <laughs> So West Ham get the season off to a perfect start at Newcastle. 2-1 down at halftime. It was one of those head-in-hands moments. You think, ah, here we go. Am I in the mood for another 37 games of this after today? But an absolutely phenomenal second half. Saw us win 4-2. Devastating inside 15 short second half minutes. Um, All in all, it went from from gloom, um, doom and gloom, to, to actually... You know, brilliant stuff. We look excellent uh, going forward. We did look a little bit shaky at the back at times, but ultimately three points in the bag. Uh, Tony, what what did you make of of the game on the whole? Obviously brilliant to start with a win, but what what did you make of it? Well, the game on the whole, I thought, um, was probably one of the best games of the the opening weekend for the Premier League. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I did watch the Manchester United Leeds game. I quite enjoyed that game, but you know, I thought our game at Newcastle was was a better game. In terms of, you know, chances for for both teams, you know, I, I don't think we see it too often nowadays, or, or not enough. We don't we don't see teams having a go at each other. You know, there's always a you know a tactical battle, or one team's trying to attack, and the other team's just defend. And even when they get the ball, they don't try and score a goal. They give the ball away. And I didn't see that. I saw a, a very positive start from West Ham, and then. You would probably say typical West Ham. We conceded. What was it after four or five minutes when they? Yeah. Got Shot a day, like you think it like it's the first time the ball's come across the goal, and Callum Wilson does what he does against West Ham. You know, he scores a goal, and um, you know, you think, oh, here we go, like four minutes into the season, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, you know same what? old stuff. Yeah, exactly. But do you know what I like about this current team, and what what I really admire about the current team, and I think a lot of it comes from the manager. I think that they don't panic, and we saw mm. a lot of it last season. That when they do go behind, you know, they they there's not the panic that you've seen in teams gone by and I listen I include myself in a few of those teams where you just panic and oh no here we go and then you end up a second one goes in then a third and by the end of the day you've lost 4-0 and you're thinking what the hell was that all about I don't see that with this team what I see is a very composed team uh, with really really good players and you know when when they do go a goal behind they they as I say, they don't panic. They just say, all right, we're going to go down. Let's kick off. Let's get on with it. We know we can score a goal. And there's enough quality in that team, as was proven, you know, to go to go and get the goals. And then, of course, as you said, you know, 
well, that half time, you're two one down again, and again you're fearing the worst, and you're thinking, well, you know, what's the second half going to be about? You know, it was a tremendous second half from the boys, but you know, generally that the game itself, I honestly believe, was one of the games of the weekend. It was fantastically enjoyable. Always better if you win, obviously. You know, if we'd have lost four two, perhaps I wouldn't have been saying that, but you know, I do believe it was a really, really good game of football. Jonesy, the defence, you know, just if you had to, as I always do when we're planning for these shows, I I look at the positives and list the positives and negatives from each game. Uh, The negatives I just put, Callum Wilson scored against us again. Uh, The defence looked shaky and we conceded two headers. Um, Was there sort of what what was your take on it, um, particularly on those things? Well, I think for for Wilson's guy, it was just good movement from him. I think, um, I mean... Dawson probably should have been a little bit more aware than when he was coming into the near post. But the work from St. Maximan on that right-hand side completely skinned deck. Um, probably caught him, off, caught him off guard a little bit in the middle of the park and allowed Wilson to come in. But for me, the, the biggest worry was that second goal because we had so many chances to clear it. Mm. And we, cleared, we half-heartedly cleared it about eight times and just still couldn't get the ball out. Um, and then you know, there are question marks over Craig Dawson again whether he should have attacked the ball when... Um, who was it that scored? Um, when Murphy. the header came in, Murphy. Good, yeah, Murphy. when when the header came in, he kind of it looked like he kind of let the ball just go past him rather than try and clear it or attack it. So that was a little bit of a bit of a worry. Both of those, both of those goals. The second one probably more reason to be a little bit concerned about the defensive shape. Um, and you know, maybe it's just you know first game of the season, you know, nerves. Maybe I don't know, but. Um, I don't think you can take much away from Wilson's movement for the first. I thought it was a very, very good, good mm. movement from him. And you know, and so Maximum did well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, though, we know Wilson's Wilson's that type of striker. He's he, that's the sort of player he is. He'll get into those positions. Um, so yeah, I mean, it looks like David Moyes is trying to address it though between now and the end of the month. So it'll be interesting to see who comes in, if any. Mm. Tony, what what is that like that that mentality? Because you hear a lot of of cliches when you're watching football, um, and obviously me and James here have, have like played amateur level, but it's, it's completely I've seen you different. Both play, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but for what what is that like when you're away from home? And you've got the the, the fans against you, particularly uh, you know to go two goals down. What's the mentality like? Is it you know is it sort of really does it feel really imposing if the away team goes, uh, sorry, if the home team, when you're the away side, goes one or one up or as as happened at the weekend, you go behind twice? What is it like? Is it different to being at home or is it the same, going behind the same anywhere when you're a professional footballer? Well, obviously last season, I think it, it showed exactly what the fans mean to, to football clubs. I think, I think the win percentage, was, was it 75% at home or something like mm. 70% or whatever at the weekend? And whereas last... Uh, um, last season it was like thirty percent, wasn't it? Whereas, mm. um, you know, when when you go, if you go a goal down or even two goals down, and, and there's no fans there, it's it, it's not going to make too much of a, a difference, I don't think. But if you go a goal down or two goals down, if you're playing at St James's or Anfield or Old Trafford or any of, any of the big clubs you want to name, <laughs> of course it makes a big difference because you you then you know you you know fans <clears throat> right behind their team. The noise level goes up. Everyone gets excited. Oh, here we go. Newcastle are going to win 3-0 or whatever, you know, 4-0, whatever they're thinking, you know. And it, it does become difficult as as players. 
Um, but, you know, what we did do, and as I've already touched on it, we, we, we very quickly got that equalising goal and that just quietened things down a little bit. I, I, I agree with what Jonesy was saying there about the defensive side of things. I think you can always learn and I think they would have watched the video, I'm pretty certain, on the Monday and looked at the amount of times they could have possibly cleared the ball. And, you know, I think there is sometimes an argument for hoofing the ball into the crowd or whatever, you know, rather than just getting the ball back up to the halfway line and it comes back again. You know, sometimes, it, it, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a football man. I'm not saying you, you do it deliberately, but every now and again, it doesn't matter if the ball gets hoofed into the stand. You can then reorganise, you can then get your shape and you can all get in position again. But we never seemed to get rid of the ball, did we? We just, you know, half-hearted clearances, sloppy clearances, never really dealt with it. And I think that's perhaps something that, that, that Moisey and the boys can look at, you know, and just say, don't be, don't be frightened to do that. You know, we all go on about how great a defender Tony Adams was and Martin Keown weren't. When I played against them, if they had to kick the ball at the top of the chicken run, they did it. You know, it wasn't mm. all about being silky skills and trying to play out from the back. You know, so sometimes I think you do that. And when, when they did do that, the Arsenal boys, they, they reorganised and got in their back four or their back five, they got in the shape. And I think maybe that's just something we could look at from a defensive point of view. But we are really, really nitpicking here, boys, aren't we? Because, mm. you know, we've won 4-2 and we got, well, yeah. I know we're going to talk about all everything great going forward. But just from a little bit from that defensive point of view, I think that's just something that can maybe look at going forward. You mentioned going forward, Tony. See, the, one of the big highlights uh, was Saeed Benrahma. So there's been big talk this summer about will Jesse Lingard come back? Won't he come back? If he doesn't, who can replace him? Do we need to buy someone? But it looks like Benrahma's kind of showed that he can step into that role and be as as effective. I know we're only one game in, but he showed it in pre-season as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, let's be honest. If we can get Jesse Lingard back, I think we would all take that, you know, particularly in his early games that he played for us last season. He was absolutely sensational, wasn't he? You know, he played for England as well, wasn't he, since he got back in, you know, on loan with us. So, you know, you're talking about an international player. That's how good a player he is. So let's, let's make no bones about it. If we can get Jesse Lingard mm. back, let's get him back. You know, because he, he, he's a, he was a big part of the squad as well. All the lads loved him. You know, he weren't one of these flash Aries who come down and don't want to run around and don't want to be a part of things. You know, he got involved with all what was going on and he, he, he put the performances and the effort on the field, which is what not, not just the players want to see, but the fans want to see. Having said all that, you know, at the moment, we, you know, we've got to deal with what we've got. We haven't got Lingard in the squad, uh, but we've got Ben Rama. And, you know, I said when we, when we bought this guy, I said, we are signing an exceptional talent. I saw enough of him. I saw quite a lot of the Brentford games and I saw enough of him playing for Brentford, knowing that he could potentially be our new Dimitri Payet. That was what I said at the time. I've seen nothing to change my mind, uh, you know. And I think what he did need, he just needed to to have a, probably have a pre-season and be a part of the lads and just be firmly established in the squad, you know, because I think sometimes we all forget, and I'm probably guilty of it now as well nowadays, you know, just how difficult sometimes it can be for a player moving from another club, you know, and he was going up a division as well. So he had, he had to deal with that, you know, from the... Cha- I know Brentford are in the Premier League this year, but the Championship to Premier League, you had to deal with that. You're only moving across London, I understand that, but you're still perhaps moving house or, you know changing school for your kids or what keeping the missus out all them things come into it you know and you know he arrived in the I think it was in the January window wasn't it which is never easy so you know we saw glimpses of him last season but I think in pre-season um, you know his goal against uh, Brentford in pre-season was a great goal wasn't it and mm. you know he got on the score sheet as well on Sunday and I think we're now starting to see that player and if if he's got the confidence and the belief that the manager's going to play him and he's going to be in the team every week I think we've got a real, real sensational player on our hands. I really do. 
Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning before, Tony, about the um, certainly that Payet line. Uh, another man who was brilliant on, on the weekend. He's looked razor sharp in pre-season. And again, he's carried, carried his form on. I thought he looked brilliant. Was Mikhail Antonio equaled, of course, Paolo Di Canio's record of uh, Premier League goals for West Ham at Newcastle. He got his 47th. Um, and you well, you'd lay your house on him. He's obviously going to beat that this season. He joked after the game that, you know, it's not bad for a right back. Um, and, you know, I think that West Ham, I'm one of them. Lots of West Ham fans have been screaming since, certainly since Sebastian Haller left, we need to sign a striker. We need to sign a striker. I, I think from, from that point of view, it, it's always hard because it comes across as if we're not happy with Mikhail, but I think he's he's phenomenal, but it's an observable fact with no malice attached to it at all, and it's probably not his fault that he is quite injury prone. Um, but just before we sort of move on to that and transfers, what what, what did you make of Mikhail at the weekend, and and how do you sort of what do you, what's your view on him generally? Listen, he's a he's a fantastic player, isn't he? And I remember when he first arrived at the club, and you know he's probably not too many positions that he's he's not played for the club, you know, he's played right and left and midfield and up front and <coughs> so many different positions. He's, he's like your Royal Rovers, isn't he? You know, are you too young? Yeah. To you no, 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 I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, Royal yeah. Rovers, right. Yeah, well, basically, he was just like, he could do anything and everything. And, you know, I, I bet Mickey was one of those lads at school who could just play in all the positions. And if you said to him, oh, you're going in goal, we'd go in goal and probably do well in goal type of thing. Um, you know, he's, he's been absolutely fantastic at the club. I love watching him play. And one of the reasons I, I love watching him play is because he's so unpredictable. And, you know, I, I think I think there are t- genuinely times where he doesn't know what he's going to do, let alone us fans. We've got no chance of working out. And probably some of the players don't know what he's going to do. But I think if anything summed up his capabilities, it was that goal he got, wasn't it? The, you know, the lung-busting run and that, you know, you see players run 70 yards sometimes and by the time they get there, they're knackered and they can't do anything and or they snatch their shot or it goes miles over the bar. But it was just, he was so composed when he got to the ball after a 70-yard run and he stroked it into the corner. It mm. was an absolute, with pace, and it was a fantastic finish. But I just think his general game, you know, he's he's learning the position now, or he has learnt the position over the last yeah. couple of years. He's big and strong. He holds up, up you know, you, you're not going to get the ball off him because he's so strong. He's he's quick as anything, isn't he? And, and he's getting... I think what he brought to his game last year was the, the tappings. And, mm. you know, it's all right getting that goal that he got, the fourth goal, sensational goal. But you've got to get your tappings. If you start getting the tappings, the sort of goal that rubbish goals that I used to get from two yards and three yards <laughs> and headers and things, if you start getting them, you get 10 of them a season and then you add in the 10 goals that he's going to get because of his natural quality. You've got a 20-league goal striker on your hands, which is what exactly what we need at the football club. You know, having said all that, having said all that, I really hope that we just wrap him up in cotton wool and, you know, whatever whatever it takes to get him through. You know, bear in mind, we are going to have lots and lots of games this year. We mm. have to protect the guy. You know, he's a fantastic player for us. At the moment, we don't have any other centre-forwards at the football club, which is absolute madness, in my opinion. Mm. But, uh, you know, obviously there's probably reasons for that. But, you know, we need to wrap him up in cotton wool. We've got to keep him fit and make sure that he's fit for all the big games. Now, whether that will be Premier League, European games or whatever, he might not play in the League Cup, FA Cup. Who cares? Just keep him fit for the big games. That's the main thing we've got to do. Another one we've got to worry about, that's if he stays uh, after the next couple of weeks, is, is Deccan Rice. Because, um, see, that there are still links with him 
sort of moving to Chelsea, but it look, does look like he's going to stay. Um, first half against Newcastle, it, 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 it wasn't the worst performance from Deck, but maybe a little bit slow. Probably understandable given he's only been back in training for a couple of weeks after the Euros. Um, but that second half was just, bad, was he, Jonesy? Just, just <laughs> phenomenal. Um, like to to win the ball for that for the equaliser in midfield, take it off for St Maximan, and it's the first time we've managed to get the ball off him. And he just, <laughs> yeah. walked up there, yeah. just walked up there and took it off his toe. And now that's the Deccan Rice that you know we we led to believe Deccan uh, Chelsea want to pay hundred million quid for. Um, so, what, what are your thoughts on that, Tony? Do you think that? Firstly, do you think we, we can keep hold of him um, beyond this summer, or even beyond January? You can have him for the whole season. And two, what, what do you think that? Do, do you think we need to bring in some cover? Or do you think he's good enough to be out there, sort of stick to that position for the entire season without well, getting injured? That is, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think with Deck, um, I probably would have spoke to you boys about it last season. You know, I, I, I said publicly, you know, we got to win a cup or get into Europe. That's yeah. That was always the two reasons to keep Deck at the football club. You know, we're going to the Europa League. We did flirt with the Champions League last year, which was fantastic achievement in itself. Um, you know, we're in the Europa League. I honestly believe that the club will have a real go at the Europa League, and quite rightfully so, because the fans want to go on a European tour. I certainly want to go on a European tour. And then about you boys, I, I can't wait for the draw. I think, it's, was it 13? Uh, no, it was uh, what, what now? 17, 10, 10 days' time. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't wait for the draw. Um, and in terms of Deck, um, you know, we need to give him what he wants. And, and what he wants, he wants to be a successful football club, a club that's winning trophies and a club that's regularly playing in Europe. Now, that is a big ask for West Ham United Football Club. Um, and be, the reasons are simple for that. We haven't won a trophy for 41 years. That's, that's a fact. You know, we can't get away from that. We've sporadically played in Europe, you know, in the Toto Cups and a few a couple of games about three or four years ago or whatever, you know, yeah. we haven't played in Europe too much. So that's the difficulty, you know, the, the, the size of the task, if you like, to keep that because, you know, he's a fantastic player. In my opinion, it's only my opinion, I think he was our best player for England in the Euro final. I don't know what mm, you guys think. Definitely, thought. yeah. He yeah. was our best player and they took him off, which is an absolutely staggeringly crazy decision in itself. I never never quite understood what... Did he get a knock, thinking. though? Did he get a knock? I don't know if that was... Well, that he got was a knock on Sunday in the second half. <laughs> he still was the best yeah, player. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you look at him and you think he's coming off. And then he, he went on a run, didn't he? He ran for about 60 yards after nearly coming off. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, perhaps that's just the way Deck is. And sometimes you look at him and you think he looks absolutely shattered. And then he then <laughs> will go on another run. So I think that's what type of player he is. Um, but that's how good the lad is. You know, to be the best player for England in a Euros final, it says it all. Um but you can't blame him for wanting to be successful. You know, he's, what is he, 20, I think he's 23, he's only a young boy, isn't he? And 22, yeah. 22, yeah. He wants to win. Of course you want it. And you get in them England squad and they're all talking about winning the Champions League, all the Chelsea boys, he's made, his best mates make some out. He's telling him how Chelsea won the Champions League, you know, as much as mm. we get annoyed with that. It's a fact. And, you know, you hear all that stuff and they're playing Champions League and they're winning FA Cups and Premier Leagues and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you do want to do that as a player, you know. Mm. Deck wants to stay at the football club. I'm quite certain that Deck wants to stay at our football club. But somehow or other, we've got to give him what he wants. And and as I say, I, I really feel for David Moyes and, you know, the people that run in the club. Because, you, you, you know, you to do that, you've got to spend millions and millions of pounds to bring in other players that are of the quality of Declan Rice. And that's, that's not feasible at the moment. We know that. So 
It's going to be really difficult to keep him. We've got the same as Mickey. We've got to keep the two of them fit. They're our two most influential players, aren't they? Uh, Antonio and Rice. Got to keep them both fit. And, uh, you know, I don't think we should look too far into the future with that. I think we should enjoy him while he's at the football club. And if he leaves at the end of the season, providing he don't go to Spurs, which I'm pretty certain he won't, then I think, you know, he'll probably or possibly go with the blessing of most of the West Ham fans. That's probably a fair comment. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there, Tony. Um, we'll go on to the, the, the transfers and stuff and what we need to um, get Declan in a little bit later. Just a couple of last little ones on the uh, Newcastle game while we're in the reaction section still. Uh, James, I'll throw to you both, um, but just a, just a brief one. Pablo Fornells, the penalty one. James Jones, yes or no? No penalty. No penalty? It wasn't a penalty. Um no? Watching it in real time, I was like, "Yeah, that's, he's got a point to the spot," and luckily he mm. did. But um, then seeing it in slow motion, I was wondering what VAR were doing. It's like he's, he's clearly got a touch of the ball, and four downs have made a little bit of it. Um, last year, that wouldn't have been given. Absolutely not. Do you, um, so, what, uh, what do you mean? Because I thought the referees got loads better so far. Or just um, obviously from one weekend we're going on, but the officiating's well, been brilliant. Well, they they they've tweaked the rule, haven't they? So they're giving the benefit of benefit of the doubt to the attacker mm. in offside calls and um, whether there's a, a certain level of contact in penalty calls. Um, and there was contact on, on four now, definitely, but the way I saw it, he got the ball first and it was 50-50 and he's beaten four now to it. But thankfully it went our way because we're not used to those going our way, particularly twice in a game, by the way. Like two in a two <laughs> yeah, in the like, What's that all about? Yeah, yeah, no, Tony. Um, would you? I, I guess you would be if you're a Newcastle fan after that. And I, from the feedback of the couple I've spoke to since, that was their main gripe about the game. Not that you know West Ham didn't attack well, and um, they just said, yeah, not a penalty. Would you? You'd have been spitting feathers, I suppose, if you were if that had been given against us. Yeah, and I think um, you know you'd have been certainly would have been moaning if you was a, the Newcastle team that conceded the penalty. You'd be having a much more of a go at the referee than what they seem to. They, you know, because sometimes the player reaction tells you everything. If, if there's not mm. much of a moan up from the opposition, then you know that it normally is a penalty. Um, you know, when I first saw it, I thought mm, I shouted penalty. Obviously, we all did. We're all West Ham fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> but when you saw the replays, you're then looking at the replays, thinking, it, I think he's got a bit of the ball there. And I agree, agree with what Jonesy said about the, the standard of the referee. You know, like it's they they've had these instructions. We watched the Euros. There was a, a lot more physical contact allowed, and, and and that was the case for the the whole of the Premier League weekend. And, and thank God as well because it's gone so far the other other way where people are falling over or finger finger on them and they fall over and all that. That's got to go. We've got to go back mm. to a little bit more of the physical game that we all want to see with tackles going in. So mm. with that in mind. You, you, you feel like they would have looked at that and gone, do you know what, I think he might have got a bit of the ball. We called a referee over. I can't remember who the ref was, by the way, but called him over. Martin Atkinson, I think. Martin Atkinson, yeah. And, um, you know, and get him to have a little look at it. And, you know, if he'd have done that, then he might have gone, do you know what, I think he got a bit of the ball. But they obviously didn't think that. Whoever the you know, VAR ref was, is, you know, I think he's, for once, he sided with West Ham. And, you know, I, we'd have been hugely, dis- if we were talking about that now, given against mm. us, we would have been saying all day long, it was never a penalty. And I think, you know, we, we, you've got to accept that. But it's it's interpretation, isn't it? I think, you know, different referees de- see things differently. Um, but for me, as much as I like to say I think it was, I, I, I agree with James, I don't think it was. 
Yeah, def- definitely a soft one. I think that's why it was nice to win 4-2 in the end because I know, obviously, dy- different dynamics of the game. Newcastle might not have opened up, etc., etc. But um, it was nice that there was more to the game than just that. While we're on decisions then, Jonesy, we've got a couple more quick ones before we're done. With the Newcastle reaction section, uh, this links in quite nicely, actually, while we're on VAR and decisions. Aaron Cresswell, I thought, was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I, I honestly, I was one of those who thought um, that after that big injury he had that his West Ham career was done and he was just going to fizzle out and be some sort of, you know, maybe go to someone like Palace or end up in the Championship. But he's had an absolute rebirth, hasn't he? Last season, he was brilliant. He looks like he's continuing that form this season. He's our new set-piece master. And, uh, yeah, he pings in our, um, our uh, you know, the, that, that opening goal of the, of the season, which you thought wasn't going to be, didn't you? He's picked up where he's left off last year. I thought last year he was one of our best players. Kind of went under the radar a little bit because of the likes of Suchek and... Yeah, Antonio Lingard and, and all that, yeah. Lingard, um, Dawson even as well. So he went under the radar last year a little bit. Didn't really get the plaudits that perhaps he deserved. Um, but last year was one of his best seasons at the club. I think he's been at the club for about seven years. I think last year, and I think he, he recently admitted that at the, the end of season awards as well, that in terms of output and, and performances, assists... Um, I think the only thing he didn't do last year was score. Um, 11, 12 assists. Yeah, no so, free kicks or anything, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's taken that form into this season, got his goal. Um, thankfully, Jared Bowen had the intelligence to to leave it until it went over the line. Um, I, was whether it, meant, I was like... Whether he meant to or not, I don't know. I think he was exactly, trying to nick it off him, exactly I think. But, it. but yeah, no, thankfully, it, it, it did. Again, another VAR decision that went our way that, you know, obviously, the line I flagged it. Um, and then there was a big coup. It did about look who, it though. Got didn't the last it? touch. Yeah, it did. You know, it did look. Yeah, yeah. Just watching um, it sitting, going, ah. Oh. But yeah, I think there's a player in that team that I like. That I'm happier for it. It's Creswell to get off the mark so early in the season because, as I said, the last last season he was superb. It looks like he's going to have a similar season this year if he can stay injury free. And um, and yeah, he's you know he's been a wonderful servant for the football club since he signed seven or eight years ago. Yeah, it is nice to see him um, having a bit of a, a resurgence. He's sort of one of the senior uh, leaders in that squad as well now, isn't he? Which is a sort of new look for him. But I was absolutely on the edge of my seat, sort of willing to drive Jared Bowen to Liverpool myself if it had shown up that he'd put that in for no reason. I thought, you know, yeah. Will, do you know, Will, do you know what is so hard when that, in that situation? Because as, as a goal scorer, yeah, Jared, you, you're desperate. You, it's the first game of the season. You want to get on the goal sheet. You don't. You don't really think about whether you're onside or offside. Listen, if you know you're blatantly offside, obviously you're not going to touch it. But if it's touch and go, you think, no, I've got to make sure it goes in the back of the net. But luckily he got to it a bit late, didn't he? Because (laughs) I think he probably would have been given offside. I mean, the the only key question was whether anyone touched it before it went over the line. And I think once you looked at the different replays and the angles, you could see quite clearly that no one touched it. And it was Creswell's goal. And uh, going back to Aaron, he's been... Yeah, it's been fantastic. He's a, he's a really nice lad. He's worked really hard at his game. And do you know what? As good as he is at left-back, he's as good at left-centre-half as well if you play a three. Yeah. So he really yeah, gives true. the manager like, the options for the back three as well. And, you know, I reckon David Moyes, if you could speak to him about Aaron, I think he'd be absolutely delighted with him. Yeah, of course. I mean, you would be. Obviously, you know, we, we've got a soft spot on this podcast for Arthur Masuaku as well. Completely different player, of course. Yeah. And I think that's perhaps more for his uh, his personality and his, his tricks rather than his, um, you know, 100% reliability. But uh, yeah, I think Cresswell, even just the, just the, yeah, it seems like such a little thing. 
But just the set pieces, you know, perhaps he's had better players uh, at dead balls in the team before, so he hasn't had the opportunity, Aaron. But it's it's one thing, especially under David Moyes, who's it's such a big part of who West Ham are these days. We were so dangerous from set pieces last season. Hopefully going to be the same again this year with Dawson, Ogbonner and Suchek, some, some big lads to get on the end of these balls. And just Cresswell, it, it looks like he's worked at that. And I know it's such a football cliche, isn't it? If people want to big up a player, they talk about how, oh, they, they stay after training for half an hour every day. But when you're playing for someone like David Moyes, it looks like Cresswell has worked on it because he's, he, he's, re, he's reliable and it seems like he's, he's consistently good. His balls in from wherever they are, corners, free kicks or, or crosses from open play. He's sort of hitting the, those 90% consistency ratings of every time he whips a ball in with his left. It looks dangerous, doesn't it? Well, it does, yeah. And, you know, the, the thing with, with free kicks and corners, you know, if you've got assets in the team, in other words, if you've got the likes of Bob Bonner and Suchek and, and uh, Craig Dawson, you know, you can add deck into that as well, Mickey Antony. You've got, you know, four or five lads there who are all going to be good at heading the ball. You know, if, if you've got a strength in your team, I think we saw Everton at the weekend put in, I don't know how many crosses it was, because they got Calvert-Lewin and Rich Arlison who could head the ball. And it, it's just common sense, really. So if you've got that asset, it makes sense to get someone who's on the free kicks who can put a really good ball into the box. And, you know, the, the thing with free kicks and corners, when, you know, everyone looks at them and says, oh, yeah, it's easy to do that. I mean, listen, you guys have played that. As you say, amateur football, you know how difficult it is just to, to get the ball at the right traje- trajectory is the right word. I'm not, I can't say it, but you know what I'm trying to say. And, uh, you know, to whiz the ball in with pace and, you know, to put it where you want. You know, and it takes practice. And I think sometimes I don't think everyone appreciates just how much people practice. You know, people always used to go on about David Beckham, how good he was with his free kicks and corners and that. It's practice. You know, you, you know, he was the one who used to stay after training for an hour, hour and a half, practicing his free kicks and corners. And then when he scored that goal against Greece, it took us to the World Cup. Oh, yeah, of course, anyone could have done it. No, they couldn't. It was no, no chance. Yeah. And, and it's the same with Aaron. And I'm, I'm not comparing Aaron Cresswell to David Beckham before anyone says that. But what I'm saying... <laughs> is if you've got the responsibility of taking free kicks and corners, you know, you have to practice them. You can't just, you know, not bother and in, in, during a game expect to put it where you want. You know, some of his deliveries are absolutely fantastic. And he's also earned the right as well. That if there is a free kick from 20, 25 yards out as well, you know, he's one of the players. We've got others who can take free kicks, but he's one of the main players as well, depending on what side of the pitch he's on. So... You know, he, he's his all-round game has really, really improved, and you know, I'm really, really pleased with him. As I said earlier, absolutely, absolutely, Aaron Cresswell, and uh, the little magician and Aaron Cresswell and his magic hat, as the fans like to sing. Yeah, great to to see him back. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much it for our reaction on that Newcastle game. Just worth noting as well. I know all the fans that were there have absolutely loved it, but watching it on. On TV, you could hear the 3,000 away fans all game long, just for a minute one. Even when we were behind both times, they didn't stop singing. And uh, in, a, in a ground like Newcastle's, it's, uh, it's easy to be drowned out because it can be a good atmosphere there. But it's, uh, it was brilliant stuff for them. Great that they got to see a win. Uh, it's been a very, very long time since there's been a full-up away end at any Premier League game. So uh, kudos to them for the long journey. And thank God they were rewarded with a perfect win, a perfect three points on the first game of the season. A great start to West Ham and worth noting, of course, that while there might be a few of us, me included, who are a little bit 
concerned, to say the least, about our transfer activity this summer. The players that we've got that go out on the pitch so far are putting absolutely everything in and performing and producing some of the best football of their career. And we are lucky to have them. So three points down, hopefully plenty more like that to go. Stay with us. That was the Newcastle reaction because we've got Betway Charity Bets next. Perfect start to the season at St. James's Park then on Sunday afternoon for the boys. And I'm delighted to say there was a perfect start to the season for us on the We Are West Ham podcast. As far as our Betway charity bets go, Tony has done one for us before. He's got one again tonight. But just to remind everyone at home, uh, Betway, who are our charity uh, partner, excuse me, on the podcast, provide each of us, um, provide us with three £50 charity stakes each week to have a bet, a three-legged bet, on the upcoming West Ham game. That's every single West Ham Premier League game this season. Uh, and any winnings from those go to one of the three West Ham charities that we are playing for. We've decided to roll over the charities from last season. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Fund. James Jones is playing for the DT38 Dylan Tombides Foundation. And the third one, which will be Reese Bayless this year. But Tony Cotty tonight is, of course, for Isla's fight. And... Reese James on his first, uh, but he wasn't even on the podcast to deliver his bet. He's making nah. his, his, his proper debut next week, but he, he sent his bet along and uh, he's, he's already edged himself ahead in, in the leaderboard and, and pocketed the first bit of cash for Isla's fight. Yeah, fair play to him. Um, would have been nice if he was actually in the in the podcast to tell everyone about it first, but um. <laughs> But yeah, no, he had he had both teams to score. So he been Marmot to score any time and over two and a half goals, which came in relatively quickly. Yeah, um, five minutes into the second half, or ten, ten minutes into the second half. So eleven to two odds, which brought in two hundred seventy five quid profit for Isla's fight. So that's two hundred seventy five quid to Isla and her family, which is great. Um, double that, obviously, at the end of the season, with Betway's going to match it. So that's you know that's a nice nice bit of money to start the season off nicely. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, great start that is to get the ball rolling so early. I was a little bit, or me and you, James, were unlucky, actually. I had West Ham to win Antonio any time and West Ham clean sheet, which was 7-1. to one. Obviously, the clean sheet went out the window pretty early, but uh, I got two of the the aspects there. You had West Ham to keep a clean sheet, Antonio any time and Ben Rama any time. Yours was 10-1. to one. So, once again, a little bit of over-reliance on West Ham's defence for me and you there, Jonesy. But, uh, Too much faith in Craig Dawson, isn't it? <laughs> That's exactly what it was, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when Callum Wilson nodded in after five minutes, I was like, this really is going to be a long season, isn't it? I don't know if I've got it in me. Uh, for another 38 games. But yeah, brilliant to get some money off the mark there. Tony, you'll be playing for, for Isla's fight this week in lieu of Reese. Uh, Jonesy, I'll throw to you first. What, uh, what have you gone for? This is for the Leicester City game at London Stadium next Monday night. A tough game. I think. I think we've got a chance with the fans back in. Um, I think Leicester. Just don't know. They're, they're a good side, aren't they? Um, under Brendan Rodgers, they're going to be there or thereabouts this season. I think. So I've. I, I can't really call this one. So I've gone both teams to score. Um, ben Rama goal or assist. Jared Bowen goal any time. I thought Bowen was quite unlucky not to get a goal at the weekend. He had that mazy run from the right coming in. Um, and he looked quite dangerous. Um, Sort of from a rumor of counter attacking, so I fancy we get the score sheet this week. Uh, ben Rama will be involved just like Lingard was last season. 
Yeah, you do. Uh, you love a Bowen bet, don't you? You had a few of love those him. last season. I don't know Big how fan. close you got on any of them. Uh, I have gone for Thomas Suchek goal anytime. Both teams to score, and the man we were just talking about, Aaron Cresswell, to score or assist. I feel like the old Cresswell Suchek combination could come at any time, and I can't call the result this week, gents. Uh, I, I think it is going to it's going to be a tight one. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Leicester won, we won, or it was a draw. Um, so I've stayed away from the result and just gone with Suchek, Cresswell, and I fancy Leicester to bag one as well, particularly after our um, uh, our defensive showing last week. So I'm not reliant on the result. Tony, you'll, um, you, you've got one for us, for us this week as well for Isla's fight. What have you gone for? Well, I've been thinking about it, Will, but while you've still been talking, and um, I'm really trying to get my head around because I, I agree what you've all what you've said. I think it's going to be a really tough game. Um, first one, I'm going to say both teams to score because I think this is a good Leicester team. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth, but I think both teams to score. But I honestly believe West Ham are going to win. Now I don't know whether that's going to be a two-one or a three-two or whatever, but both teams to score, West Ham to win, and. If there is one weakness with Leicester, and I saw it over the course of the last season in my work that I've done for the club, um, they concede from free kicks and corners. So I'm going to go for Ogbonna to score at any time during the 90 minutes because I think he, he's just one of those guys. Every now and again, he's got to pop up and get a header or something. So that's my, my free bet. So Ogbonna to, to score any time, both teams to score, West Ham to win. Lovely stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, Tony, he was my lucky man last season. Jones, you'll vouch for me here. The vast majority of the money that I won, um, which was a decent old lump, a few thousand quid for the Bobby Moore fund. Uh, I think five and a half grand it was that, uh, that I pulled in last season. And two of those were from the two goal. I think Ogbonna scored twice last season and I think I backed in both of them and they both won a 28 to one shot both times. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's it, it, definitely provides good, uh, good value and he's obviously dangerous from those set pieces as well. So I like the sound of that from you, Tony, just a reminder, you can um, of course back these bets. If you like the sound of them, uh, you can back them for real. If you like on the Betway website and app, just go to the West Ham v Leicester game. Uh, and they'll be under the pre-built bet selection. You'll be able to find them under uh, the We Are West Ham podcast bets. They'll be tagged with the podcast name and our names, so you can back those for real if you like the sound of them from around, as it's a Monday game, about Friday onwards. Uh, just keep your eye on at We Are underscore West Ham on Twitter. We'll post the odds, and uh, you'll know then if you fancy backing themselves what, yourself when you can do that. Uh, good little start to the season on the Betway Charity Bets. Let's hope for more of the same this week from the bets there from me, James and Tony. But stay with us because we've got the opposition view next. Betway Charity Bets there. Let's hope the uh, we can kick off and keep that ball rolling. Two consecutive wins. That really would be something. Uh, two consecutive wins for West Ham United would be absolutely delightful as well. I think it's fair to say that on paper, our opposition view, sorry, our opposition quality uh, on, on paper next week is, is certainly... Uh, they're, well, they're better, ultimately. <laughs> Lesser are better than Newcastle. 
trying to find fancy words for it, but uh, that is exactly what I'm trying to say. Normally, as you know, uh, we get in a, a former player or a guest journalist who covers the team that West Ham are playing the next week. But fortunately this week, we've got Tony Cotty on for the entire podcast. He scored 34 goals in 100 games for Leicester between 1997 and 2000. So uh, we decided not to bother with that. What better man to ask than a man who's played for the club and still does some work for them. Tony, before we get on to the nitty gritty, what sort of bits and pieces do you do with, with Leicester at the moment? Well, very similar to what I do with West Ham. You know, I, I do bits and pieces for the programme column, uh, media work, um, do Zoom stuff like what we, we're doing now. Um, and every now and again, you know, work permitting, um, I've already said about, might have a bit more chance to do work from this season. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, um, I do a few commentaries and bits and pieces. But funny enough, they've left me alone for Monday night because I, I made it quite clear that I'm going to the game as a as a West Ham fan, and I think they you know they know that I'm a hammer anyway, so they I think they just thought <laughs> we won't get him talking about Leicester if he's going to support West Ham, which is probably the right decision. Um, so yeah, I'm looking, I'm going to the game and looking forward to it. Can't wait. Yeah, excellent stuff. Well, uh, Leicester beat Wolves one 0 at home in their first game of the season. Uh, Jamie Vardy with a near post goal just before half time a uh, little bit you know nothing nothing spectacular unlike some of the games we saw the first game of the season but uh, what did you make of their their first game <clears throat> well it was very much um, a grinding result i think it's fair to say from Leicester um, you know the Wolves are, are a decent team um, had a bit of a funny season last year got change of manager as well um, and they actually had like a really good chance you know Traore that we all know about is so quick isn't he and he really had a a wonderful chance to put Wolves up about three or four minutes before Vardy actually got his goal. So um, there was no uh, Fafana and no Johnny Evans uh, for Leicester, which is why when we were talking about my obviously my, my bet for for the goal scorer, you know, I said about Obana because I do think they can be vulnerable from um, free kicks and corners. Um, they do zonal marking as well, so that's something that I you know I, listen I've, I've moaned to Leicester about it because I'm not a fan of zonal marking. But that is something that if they are employing this year, that's something that we can exploit on Monday night. Um, but what we must remember is you know, that you've got a fantastic centre-forward in Jamie Vardy. This is a, a guy that's actually getting better. Um, you know, I think he's, what, 34 years of age now. And although he's perhaps not as lightning quick as what he would have been five or six years ago, he's still very sharp in the brain. He's got all the experience now that you get through being 34 years of age. And um, I don't know whether you saw his goal at the weekend. It was an mm. absolutely fantastic striker's goal. Um, yeah. And, you know, they've got the type of players that can get the service in. And, you know, what you have to do with Leicester, you, you have to stop them at source. You've got to stop them getting the ball wide because the likes of Ricardo and Luke Thomas, who played at the weekend, and Harvey Barnes, you know, Perez, they're good players that can get on the ball, whip the ball in and, if you do that, you've got Vardy and perhaps even Ian Acho, who didn't play at the weekend. You've got him as well. We, they did play two up front for quite a few games last season. So they can be a real threat, Leicester. You know? So we, we've got to be on our guard. But overall, the game, as you quite rightly say, wasn't one of the glamour games of the weekend. You know, There wasn't that many that were like that, but it was probably one of them. Um, and a 1-0 victory was just about, just about the right result for Leicester, I think, if you're taking our Wolves blade. Tony, just on that, actually, um, I've got a couple of other questions as well, which is kind of away from the pitch. But I want to just touch on what you said about their, about their sort of their attacking sort of quick players. Um, do you think that they might set up a little bit differently this weekend? 
go in on the basis of that they they arrived at London Stadium last season and found themselves three 0 down within. Well, it was it was in that period where we just kept scoring three goals against everyone, um, <laughs> and it kind of it kind of backfired a little bit the way they set up, and then they almost came back into it. Luckily, we managed to get three points. But do you think that be on Brendan Rodgers' mind and might sort of come to West Ham a, bit, a little bit more conser- conservatively? Well, he might do. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a huge Brendan Rodgers fan. I think um, I think he was very unlucky at Liverpool. You know, they could easily have won the league that season, couldn't they? You know, um, got picked mm. in the end. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of him. Um, tactically, he's, you know, as I say, I've followed the club very closely over the last two years, probably. And tactically, he normally gets it right. He normally, if he makes a substitution, it makes an impact on the game. Um, and, you know, he would have looked at what West Ham did at Newcastle you know, to try and counter, you know, what what they're going to do um, in a home game. And, you know, our guys, we, you know, we're, we're more than happy to soak up a little bit of pressure now and again and then hit them on the break. We're, we're good enough to do that, but we can also take the game as we showed and as you've already spoken about by going three goals up last year, we can take the game to clubs as well. So, you know, I think the one thing that's going to be inspirational on Monday night, and I can't wait, is the atmosphere. I think mm. the atmosphere will be, you know, there's been... It's not been as many games as I would have liked, I've got to be honest, but there have been some games at the London Stadium where the atmosphere has been absolutely electric. And I honestly think that it will be like that. I think we're all going to be so excited that we've gone back to the London Stadium and the fans are in, etc. And that will then, in itself, we, we, you know, we spoke about it before, didn't we, with how you know, team, away teams react to the home crowd and that. And that will put Leicester under pressure. You know, they have got a few players missing. Um, you've got players like James Madison who, who played, he started at the weekend and he's he's still trying to find his feet and get back to his form, be linked with Arsenal obviously maybe he's a bit unsettled with that, I don't know but um, you know, Brendan will look at it, um, the one thing he might do he might, as I say, bring Ian Acho in and if he does bring him up in up front they might tweak it and go as a 3 and a 5 and a 2, which he'd done on numerous occasions last year and it was very, very successful for them but, you know, make no bones about it. And, and I think you guys touched on it. This is a very, very good Leicester team. Um, mm. And they've got good players that can come into the team and into the squad and change the formation. So we've got to be wary, but without being too worried about it. Because, you know, sometimes I think you can get a little bit carried away, you know, looking at Vardy's and other players and worrying about them so much when really what you want to do is concentrate on your own team and how you're going to take the game to them. I agree with you on the on the atmosphere front. I think I think on Monday night it's going to be it's going to be rocking. Thanks to last season and also just getting off to a winning start. I think the fans are going to get in there and they're going to be absolutely buzzing. But talking of of atmosphere, see Leicester Leicester always seen as being a club that just always seem to be doing things well, both on and off the pitch. And they've totally. just announced a a, stadium, a new stadium plans, which look phenomenal. Um, what your, have you seen those, and what, what are your thoughts on it? Because it just seems like a club that just continuously just building, like just like really, really well. Yeah, I mean it's, a, it's an amazing turnaround, really, James. Because if you go back fifteen years, Leicester were in League One, you know. Yeah. And, mm. You know, listen, there's been some dire times at our club, but we've never gone sunk as low as League One, fortunately. And I hope that ne- day never comes. But <clears throat> excuse me, that was exactly where Leicester were, and you know, then they got taken over. And, uh, and, you know, and under under Vichai, they won the Premier League. And then, of course, you know, we had that horrible he- helicopter crash and, you know, he died and the son, um, Kuntop, has now taken over. But whatever they seem to do, they seem to get it right. They've just built the best, the best training ground. Oh, uh, yeah. 
And, mm. you know, we'll go on about Man City's and Chelsea's and Arsenal's and all these great train Tottenham, you know, but Leicester have built the best training ground in the country. Um, you're quite right about the, the plans, James. They've got plans to make the, um, for those of the West Ham fans who've been to the KP Stadium, it's the stand opposite where the players run out, uh, mm. where the TV cameras are. They're going to put another tier on the top of there and that will make it up to a 40,000 uh, all-seater stadium. And beyond that stand, on the, the, there's loads of spare ground out the back and get, apparently there's a concert venue and a hotel and you know, residential and it, basically stuff for the community. Mm. And you can't emphasise that too much that the, the owners... They're not owners who have gone into the club and, you know, they're looking for a quick return and get out sort of thing. They're in there for the for the long run. They love being a part of what goes on at Leicester. I don't know whether you saw the FA Cup final when they won the cup and they were holding the cup up and they got the chairman on the pitch and that. Yeah. You know, they're very it's a very tight knit club and community and the plans they've they've announced are absolutely sensational. I hope they get past. I'm pretty certain they will because of what it brings to the area. You know, but you know, for me, Leicester are one of those clubs that you you look at at the moment and think they're a club going in the right direction, making the right decisions, not just on the field but off the field as well, and that's really really important. Their recruitment's been great. You know, they've got youngsters coming into their first team, the likes of Luke Thomas, Hamza Chowdhury, uh, Harvey Barnes. Um, there's another lad I can't remember his name. He's just been promoted to the first team squad. There's lots of players that are you know um, are doing really well at the club. So. You know, yeah, I'm, they've done brilliant. And as I say, 15 years ago, they're in League One. So it just shows you, you can transform a club and put that stability into a club and, and allow it to go forward. Tony, uh, uh, on on that note, fans will, of course, of West Ham and, and of lots of clubs, not just West Ham, but, you know, Aston Villa, Wolves, perhaps, uh, those what I would call like middle bracket teams yeah. outside the top six, but bigger then your, your, your Burnleys and your Crystal Palaces, your Watfords, etc. right? I mean, any fans of those listening, which there will almost certainly be none, but if there are, forgive me. But, you know, I think it's fair to say, with no malice uh, intended again, that West Ham, Everton, Wolves, some of the clubs I just mentioned, they're in that that, that middle bracket. Um, fans in that bracket will look at Leicester and go, that is what I want. West Ham fans do the same thing. I think it's harder to do the... You know, Man City have done it as well. I think it's quite it's harder to do the the community stuff, even at Upton Park. Uh, it would have been fair to say that a lot of the community around Upton Park in modern times wasn't necessarily made up of solely West Ham fans like it may have been in the old days or like it still is in Leicester or somewhere like Manchester. So I think it's hard to, to beat West Ham with that stick and they do do lots of good community work as it is anyway. So that that's hard and being in London, it's already developed, but just as far as on the pitch goes, you mentioned the training ground there at the moment, that's such an easy stick with which West Ham are beat um, or the, the, the sort of the people that the owners of the club are, are beat with at the moment. Is it fair to say though, that looking at Leicester and all the stuff they've done, although the messaging is brilliant and the way they've done it is phenomenal. It has cost a significant amount of money. Everything does, though, Will, doesn't it? Everything, you know, whether it's just in life or, you know, in football, obviously it's vastly inflated in football. But you know, but even they, in football terms, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've spent a, a hell of a lot of money. Of course they have, you know, and they've, they've spent big in the transfer market as well. You know, I think Fafana was 30 million quid and Soyuncu wasn't cheap and there's been other players they brought into the club. Tielemans wasn't cheap. Um, mm. You know, but that's... That's that's where they are. They're, they're buying 25, 30 million pound players, which is where we want to be. You know, if Jess Lingard's 25 million pound, we need to buy Jess Lingard. You know, they, 
uh, it, it's simple. You, that's what you've got to do. But, you, you know, you, you've got to try and get the club into that position where, you know, they can spend that amount of money. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know whether they will be able to do that. But, you, you know, all I can say is that I look at Leicester City Football Club and it's, it's an incredibly well-run club on and off the field. And, you know, they, for the last two seasons, this is the biggest tribute you can pay them. Last two seasons, they've been... They've been in a Champions League position up until the last game of the season. Now, can you yeah. imagine the excitement at our club if we've been in that position? I mean, we're, we're, we're all drooling over the fact we're in the Europa League. And, you know, if we'd have been anywhere near the Champions League, I know we got in the positions at one stage, but we wasn't consistently there. But, you know, if we could get anywhere near that, we would all be absolutely thrilled and delighted about that. So, um, you know, Leicester, yeah, it's a bit of a benchmark. And there are other really, really good clubs as well. But... The challenge for our football club, you know, and that's what we're talking about tonight, West Ham United Football Club, is to be, if you like, top of that second tier. And I hate to say that because I really believe we should be in the first tier. But we've got to accept at this moment in time, there probably is a top six in terms of finances mm. and ability to spend on players, you know, 50, 60 million pound players. We can't do that. But we want to try and be top of the second tier. And that second tier at the moment includes the likes of Leicester and Villa and Everton <laughs> and some great clubs and you know, we really need to be, you know, top of that second tier. That's what we've got to be trying to aim for. And that means, you know, we, listen, we finished sixth. So we had Arsenal and Spurs behind us last year. So, you know, we've laid the, the foundations, if you like, and we've got to try and build on that this season. But, you know, you could do a lot worse than looking at Leicester and seeing how they're structured. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Right. A bit more about the uh, the style of play then, Tony, and what we expect from this game on Monday night. We'll go on to what we all expect from West Ham in a minute and, and predictions and stuff. As far as their their style of play goes, Tony, what what, what can West Ham fans who, who haven't watched uh, too much of Leicester or as it's a new season, what can they expect from, uh, from the Foxes on Monday night at London Stadium? Well, as I've already spoke about, they could well change their formation. The formation they played at the weekend was a 4-2-3-1. Um, obviously, a huge focus on, on Jamie Vardy, you know, as the, who's that front man who plays on the shoulder of the defenders. You know, so our defenders, you know, they've got to be aware because you know, once he gets in on goal, not only is he quick enough still to get in behind the defence, you know, you know that if he's bearing down on goal, there's every chance the ball's going to end up the back of the net. So... Heavy focus on Jamie Vardy. Um, at the weekend, they had Perez, they had uh, James Madison playing centrally behind Vardy and Harvey Barnes on the left. Uh, I think all three players got substituted at, uh, at a certain stage of the game. So, you know, that tells me that perhaps there wasn't quite the creation and, you know, the, um, the chances set up for Jamie Vardy that the manager would have liked. Behind those three, you've got Tielemans and Ndidi, both really, really good midfielders. And I think... This is where the key battle is going to be. It, it, it's about Tielemans and Didi against Suchek and Declan Rice. That, for me, is the real, real key to this game on how it's going to go. And In other words, if you listen, if you stand off Tielemans and allow him to play and spray the ball around, he will do that and he's good enough to do that. And there'll be good passes going here, there and everything. And Didi's much more of a holding midfield player, but he's still a very, very talented player that breaks things up. So our two midfield players have really got to get stuck into those two. And you've got to hope that defensively we can deal with the sort of the movement that the, the three behind Jamie Vardy and Vardy provide. If there is a slight weakness for Leicester, I'd say perhaps Daniel Armati at the moment, playing centre-half. You know, he's, he's sort of playing there because there's lots of injuries. I don't know whether Johnny Evans will come back. I know Fafana's out probably till the new year. So that's a big blow for them because he was sensational when he came into the team last season. So... 
Um, but as I say, tactically, this will be a well-organised Leicester team uh, that will try and hit uh, West Ham on the break, as we all know, with the pace of Jamie Vardy. But I come back to my point, they are very vulnerable at times from free kicks and corners, and we've got to look to exploit that. Well, there we go then. Sounds like mine and Tony's bets are coming in. No problem, Jonesy. Uh, James, what are you expecting from West Ham then? Obviously, we've, we've sort of touched on Newcastle in quite a lot of detail already. Uh, what are you expecting from, from David Moyes? I mean, I, I don't think we'll see much change. I think we'll be quite happy to allow Leicester... <laughs> we can't, can we? We haven't got any players. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're quite happy to allow Leicester to have, have the ball. Um, you know, that's what was so successful last last season was try and catch him on a break and um, the, the worry is is that defensively we need if we're going to do that defensively we need to be much better than we were against Newcastle um, <laughs> yeah. so um, because they're far better in attack um, so I mean I, I don't expect much change it'd probably be the starting same starting 11 um, same tactics we'll just probably sit off a little bit more than we did against Newcastle and kind of you know allow Leicester onto us and, and catch him on a break much like we did against them at London Stadium last season. Obviously, that worked nicely. Got it ropey towards the end, but we're racing it with three goal leads. So, yeah, I don't I don't expect much different from, from, from David Moyes' West Ham this weekend. Would you, on the, you know, if you were going to make a change, Jonesy, I, I think it's probably Craig Dawson, like we've mentioned there. Would you would you drop him and give give us a D-up a go this early in the season or do you just say no nah, he's just you know he was just getting his some rust out of his the system and and you can't sub him after you've won 4-2 yeah i think it'd be harsh to drop him he's 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 had a couple of shaky moments but um that's one bad performance he's had in what 17 18 he's had since he joined the football club and it was in the first day of the season when it's still a little bit rusty at that level so yeah, it would be a little bit harsh. Um, and I just wouldn't trust Diop. Yeah, Diop's hardly like, Paolo Maldini, is he? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't trust him coming in against someone like Vardy. Um, so, yeah, like, we'll keep Dawson in the team, definitely. Even with his pace. All right, fair enough. Tony, what do, what do you expect? Same question from the Hammers. Well, I, I agree with Jonesy. Same again. I think I don't, don't see too many changes, providing everyone's fit and no injury problems. Why, why would you change it? You know, that would be the. My question, you know, you've just won 4-2, you play fantastically well. Yeah, we've asked about, you know, a few question marks about the defensive performance and I understand where you're coming from, from Craig Dawson. But let's not forget, he's been outstanding since he arrived at the football club. And I think the one thing David Moyes is with his players, he's very, very low. And yeah, you, know, yeah. I think you would have to have quite a few really, really bad performances for him even to consider leaving players out. So I think he'll be same again, boys. Um, <laughs> where we've got to be careful I think it's just um, you know I understand what you're saying about you know defensively and dropping off and allowing Leicester to, to come at us and hit them on the break and I, I get that we we can do that but I also think that we probably need to be on the front foot because of that atmosphere that I'm expecting you know I, I really think that if if there's the build up the, the atmosphere and the build up and we all sink bubbles and everything and we kick off and then all of a sudden we just <laughs> sit back and say, come on, Leicester, come and beat us, then it just kills the atmosphere. Whereas you can use and utilise that atmosphere. You know, you, the manager will say to them, boys, it's going to be a great atmosphere. Or he should be saying it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. You know, go and get amongst them. Put them under pressure. Don't let them play. You know, get the ball forward. You know, win some free kicks and corners. Get the ball in the box and that. See how well they can deal with all the, the what I've said about Leicester defensively. That's what I hope we'll do. You know, I understand what you're saying about, you know, you can sit back a little bit, but... Perhaps do that when you're a goal up, you know, because if we can get a goal up, 
that's when we're at our best, I think, because we're a good team. And if we go a goal up, we can then sit back because we can absorb up defensively. And then we've then got the pace and everything to hit teams on the counter-attack. And, and that, for me, is the way to go about the game. You know, take the game to Leicester, have a real charge up, get a goal up, and then, you know, then you can hit them on the break when they're trying to get, a, you know, get back on level terms. That would be my tactics. But what do I know? What do I know? Uh, well, I mean, Tony, I'll be honest, it wouldn't be the first time James has been compared to Sam Allardyce, be it for his <laughs> <Yeah>. views <laughs> views on the world, his views on football, his tactics. He's just the sort of bloke he is. So that you wouldn't be the first one <laughs> no to criticise James for being too pragmatic uh, at West Ham. No, I, I, I think especially with that, yeah, what an atmosphere it's going to be. The first capacity crowd at London Stadium for the best part of two years nearly and how desperate so many of us are um, to get back to it. So that's West Ham United v Leicester City on Monday night and who knows, it could be a Champions League decider this early into the season. Great opposition view there from former Leicester City striker Tony Cotty. Stay with us because we'll have a Q&A with Tony next. <laughs> So if James Jones is in charge of the tactics Monday, it's going to be nil-nil. West Ham sitting behind the ball, about 20% possession. But according to a former legendary striker for West Ham and Leicester, Tony Cotty, who actually wants to see the football that we all want to see played at London Stadium, will be attacking, getting balls in the box, getting right among Leicester early doors on Monday night. What a game that promises to be. And we're uh, delighted this week to have Tony with us for the full two-hour podcast is absolutely brilliant. Uh, gives us a bit more time than, than we have done before to chat all things West Ham, past, present and future. And uh, yeah, we've, we've put this segment aside and it will obviously, this is normally um, the West Ham women's segment of the podcast, as the regular listeners will know. It's exciting times head for the women but it's still uh, a few weeks away till the WSL season starts so uh, as we've got Tony it would be criminal not to ask him uh, a few questions we put out um, a tweet earlier on to the We Are West Ham listeners of course we invited them to to get their questions in so we'll have a few of those from you uh, at the end of this section here but first of all Tony I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us off uh, we have sort of briefly touched on it uh, because naturally it comes up at a few Whenever you're talking about West Ham, um, it's the transfer activity. Now, uh, me and James on the podcast, we've always, uh, we pride ourselves and market the whole podcast on being balanced about West Ham. Um, it's not always easy because it's quite, a, with such a passionate fan base, as you know, um, we say the things, negative things that need to be said if and when we feel they need to be said. But we also try and, you know, focus on some of the lots of positive things that that do happen, particularly last year. Um, so my personal view on that before before we throw to you is that similar to when we left Upton Park, I feel really and will feel really frustrated. I'm quite happy to, to be patient and not go in two footed until the transfer window is closed because it's silly to do that. Then we all know what business can be done till late. However, when we left Upton Park, I don't feel the club capitalised on that feel-good factor. The league position, we had a really exciting manager at the time. The new stadium, it was like, what a time to be a West Ham fan this really is. We had a chance of you know, uh, that European campaign as well. We all know what happened there. Um, and that left you feeling so deflated because you just wondered what might have been all the time. This season, last season was brilliant 
probably one of, if not the best season in my life. It was just so enjoyable, just from a purely football side of things. Obviously, not being there wasn't great. And I'm really worried and at the moment and nervous about the transfer window closing and all of that big bubble that there was last season just bursting. Because I know we've got some fantastic players already. We have touched on it. But it is naive to think that particularly with the extra burden of European games, that it wouldn't be prudent, in my opinion, to sign more players. Uh, David Moyes has said already that, you know, he doesn't want to just sign people for the sake of it. But I think, again, this is a personal opinion. I think David Moyes is very good at, at, you know, saying the things that are not only going to please fans, but that are going to, that his employers would like to hear as well. He's very good at sort of managing the media and keeping the heat down. But, not speaking too prematurely yet because the transfer window hasn't closed. What is your view on the, the West Ham transfer activity, particularly this summer, but obviously sort of in general in the, in the recent past because you had the, the Anderson Haller stuff as well. We have spent money on big players, haven't worked out, blah, blah, blah. But start with now and, and just give us your, your general thoughts transfer-wise. Yeah, well, I'll turn the floodlights on. I don't know if you noticed, boys. You couldn't see me in the last part, could you? Uh, so it probably always helps, doesn't it? Um, Transfer-wise, um, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm I'm with you guys. Um, I'm frustrated as well. Um, I think we all are. Um, I agree. It was a, it was an incredible season. Um, you go into this season with that feel-good factor uh, that's been helped by a great win at Newcastle um, that's going to be there, as I've already said, on that first game. On Monday night, those of us that are lucky enough to be there, it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, and we've got the European tour to come as well. You know, we've, we've hopefully had some great fixtures home and away that we can all enjoy and be a part of. Um, but having said all that, we don't have the squad that's capable of dealing with all the games at the moment. You know, um, I'm sure it's something that the manager would like to improve. Um, I know you said that Moisey says all the right things, but he... he he also says, and I agree with him, that you, you don't want to bring in the wrong type of player. You, you don't want to certainly don't want to spend the money on a player that maybe costs twenty million or something, and then he's not the right. You, you bought him because everyone's clamouring for a signing, and then when he arrives at the club, he doesn't fit in. So it's important to try and bring the right players to the club. I must admit, I'm a little bit disappointed with us not signing Adam Armstrong. I, I said it publicly. Mm. I've been saying it for ages. He's a goal scorer. He's a finisher. And he was someone that could have slotted into our squad. He got a fantastic goal at Everton at the weekend. Um, you know, so I was a bit disappointed with that. But having said that, you know, what was it, 15, 16 minutes? I don't know what the transfer fee was. I really, really don't know what the state of our books are. I say the state because probably the wrong word, but, the, you know, what condition our books are in, in terms of money we've got to spend. I don't know. We just had a, a big hit with Anderson. We've had a big hit with Haller. We've had covid there's been a lot of things going on. There's been no income coming into the football club. So I really don't know what the situation is with, you know, the manager's transfer budget, if if, if you like. Um, I'm sure David Moyes, the, the one thing I can say, and with confidence, David Moyes is a fantastic manager. He's a fantastically experienced manager. He's been in Europe, not just with Everton, but with Manchester United as well. Mm. He knows what it takes to go into a European campaign what you need to deal with the games. You know, this, this is the first time, well, it's, it's the first time in the club's history that we've been guaranteed six games. I know we've got to cut this cup final, I understand all that, but, you know, that wasn't guaranteed. We had to win our way through those games. This is guaranteed football. 
six extra games without even considering league <coughs> cup games, plus your 38 Premier League games, plus people like Deck and other players going away and playing in their suit checks and that going to play international football. It's a hell of a lot of games. So we need the squad to deal with that. And David Moyes knows that. He, he knows that. And he must be frustrated because I'm sure he would have wanted to have brought a few players into the squad by this stage, you know, particularly forwards, because as we've said, if Mickey gets injured, you know, God knows what we're going to do. You know, again, I agree with what you said, Will. You can't jump to too many conclusions at the moment because there's still, what, a couple of weeks left at the window. But time is ticking every day. It's ticking away, ticking away. And We're not even being linked with people, no, Tony. I'm That's t- what's a bit worrying. You beat me to it. You, I'm just about to say, we haven't really been linked with too many players. So mm. does that mean that the manager's happy with the squad? Does it mean that he he's happy with the likes of, say, a Connor Coventry, if you like, you know, being part of the squad, being able to come in and do what someone else might do? I, I still wouldn't be surprised if Jess Lingard comes back, probably as a loan signing rather than a, a transfer at the moment. Um, but we do need players. We need bodies. And we need, if nothing else, we need bodies to take the pressure off the likes of Deck and Mickey that you know perhaps aren't going to be able to play all the games. So it, it's worrying. It, it is worrying. And, and that's a frustration because, as you quite rightly said, this is the most exciting start to the season that we've had for many, many a year. Um, but it, it's, you know, I'll go back to the 86 season. We always end up talking about the 86 season. And we didn't strengthen. I would, if I was you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we didn't strengthen for the start of the following season. And of course, we then had a few injuries and then it, it then became very difficult to deal with the games. So, you know, we don't want to see that happen. We're The club is in such a good position at the moment. It really is. Got great manager, great players. The fans are all excited. Europe, everything's going in the right direction. I think we just need at least two or maybe three outfield players. I know we signed a decent goalie, but we need some good players to just bolster the squad up a little bit and just put a smile on our face in the transfer window because everything else, unusually for a West Ham fan, everything else is fantastic, isn't it? It's just, it's just the transfer window. James, um, just just quickly, mate. Sorry, before you, I know you've got a couple you want to read out there. So, Tony, could just from from a man who, who sort of you know in, inside football um, has been inside football as a player, you know, still in contact with lots of people inside the game now. Is it when fans, right, be it us or anyone listening to this, here's David Moyes say about bringing in right players and all that sort of thing, and then they look around. You mentioned Adam Armstrong, Patson Dacker. Um, as, as moved, then that you know, yeah, Danny Ings. Uh, uh, to be fair with that one, you know, that, that was a lot of money they paid for quite an injury prone player. So, I don't if that one, you know, was too much for the club, kind for one of, of those groups that, that second tier group that we were speaking about. Where yeah. so you've got to say that really could we should we have been in the market for Danny Ings? Possibly. I'd have liked to have been, of yeah. course, yeah, 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 and surely it'd have been an easier sell than, than Villa were in Europe, etc., etc. So when when fans hear that and they go, oh, there's no, and David Moyes, sorry, goes, oh, we want to bring the right players in, and some fans will go, you're you cannot tell me that there's not someone out there who would be suitable for West Ham that we are capable of going out and buying. When fans say that, is that reasonable or unreasonable? Because that's what I feel like at the moment. But I'm loath to say it because, like I said, we try and be balanced where we can. But is that, well, yeah, that is just a bit of a hot-headed, hot-headed fan there, Will, or is there actually legs in it and would people like David Moyes or perhaps around the club be feeling that way? That, come on, we must be able to do a bit better than... Because there's got to be grey area, surely, between spending £40 million once or twice on Haller Anderson. There's yeah. got to be somewhere in between that and another goalkeeper we don't really need. 
Oh, of course there is, yeah. You know, but there, you know, there was that clamour, wasn't there, two or three years ago? We had, we didn't, we never spent any money. We went out and spent hundred million or whatever, and you look back and you think, oh my god, what did we spend that money on? So, <laughs> you know, you've got to be a little bit careful. And there, the, the, the transfer, the, the transfer of a football is is very complex. It's always been very complex, and it, you know, perhaps even more so nowadays with the agents and you know all the spin-offs and all the you know the add-ons and everything. And you know, sometimes what maybe appears an easy deal it's not an easy deal I don't know I mean and you, you then come back to opinions you know like I, as I said I, I love Adam Armstrong I've followed his career I think he's a fantastic goal scorer I think he'll score goals in the Premier League and he's already gone and done that um, he got three less than Ivan Tony last year didn't he and everyone absolutely yeah, loves him exactly so you know he, the, the goals are there but you know it's about opinions you know did, did Davy Moyes uh, agree with what I, I I feel, or did he not agree? You know, he's the manager. Listen, I'm, I'm coming on. I love talking to you boys and that, and hopefully the fans like listen to what I say. But I'm not the manager. It doesn't really matter what I think. It's about what the manager thinks. He's about his strategy. It's about his group of players. And you know, you'd like to think that they, if they're looking for centre forward, you'd like to think they've got a one, two, three, four, five, six, and they they're working their way through that list and. I don't know who number. I, I don't know, but if you can't get one, two, and three, then after four and five, and you work, and that's often how it works, particularly in the transfer windows. Which you know, ever since the transfer windows come into play, it's made it very difficult for the clubs and the managers and the players and everyone to get everything done in the, in the, in the right time. Uh, you know, in the old days, you just went, oh, it's October and we're not scoring any goals. Oh, let's go and buy a player, and you went and done that. But you can't do that now. So you. you all your business has got to really be done in the summer, which is where we are now, because we all know the January window is normally a, a nightmare window to deal in. It's overinflated money, wages, etc. So you want to be doing your business now. But come back to the point I made, you don't want to bring a bad egg into the group. If David Boyce believes he's got a real good tight-knit group of players who are all pushing and pulling for each other and working hard, you don't want to bring someone in who's getting, I don't know, extortionate wages, cost 25, 30 million pound, meant to be the next best thing since God knows who. And they arrive at the club and basically he ain't bothered. All he wants is a few nights out in London. He ain't bothered. He don't want to try a leg and run around. And then you've done your money. So, you know, there is such a, a grey area there. And, you know, I'm trying to stick up for the manager. I'm trying to look at it from his point of view. Um, but I also get the fans' frustration. I'm frustrated, you know, because I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, we need we need two centre forwards. We probably need a centre half, maybe as a as a cover as well. We need some players into that squad. You've just got to hopefully trust that the manager and you can't question the manager in the last what two windows. You know, previous to this one, he's been fantastic, hasn't he, with the players he's brought in, and um, you know he, he's just done a fantastic job. The club's been fantastic. Let's say not not the manager, just the manager, but the club in terms of the players they've brought in. It's been a lot better than what it was, say, three or four years ago. So, fingers crossed that we get some players in because when we go on that European tour, we're going to need all the players that we can have at the club. Based on that, um, what? Let's just let's just say, okay, well, they only they don't bring any players in between now and the end of the month. Um, or they bring Jesse Lingard in. He's the only player they brought in. Um, yeah. What What should our expectations be for this season, based on the fact that squad depth? hasn't improved um we've got six at least six more games um can we expect david moyes and his players to to put on another solid season of top 10 football or should we be thinking a bit more realistic in going if we're going to go for the europa league then we need to sort of half expect west Ham to finish 12th in the premier league um or vice versa um 
I think it's going to be very hard to improve on last year. Let's be honest, you know, like improving on sixth position, that is going to be very, very difficult. You know, we've only ever yeah. done that twice in 120 odd years, whatever it is. You know, that is going to be really hard to finish above sixth position, especially with a European campaign. We know that. Um, what I'd like to see, I'd like to see us do exactly what we've done. We've made a great start. Get as many points on the board as you can in the early parts of the season, because like, invariably, if you have a good start to the season, the confidence is there, the points are coming in, and then we can get to the stage hopefully where we can have we've got we've got to balance it out with getting a good run in the Europa League as well, and we need to qualify out of our group. Um, I think there's playoffs. I know, I'm, I'm not quite familiar with how the playoffs will work, but I think the, I think I'm right in saying the top in the group qualifies automatically. I think second you go into a playoff. I think I'm right. With the Champions that. League dropout, yeah. Exactly. And that you could be playing anyone, couldn't you? But at least you then mm. would get that game in February. So we might have six group games and then the two playoff games in February. So you're looking at eight European games. But, you know, I, I think we've got a real a, a realistic chance of doing really well in the Europa League. You know, I mean, I think Leicester will fancy their chances. I think we'll fancy our chances. And if any of the so-called top boys get knocked out and, you know, and end up parachuting into the Europa League, which often happens, you know, they'll fancy their chances as well, you know, especially as it's, you know, it's four of the top six playing in the Champions League. Um, you know, but our league is as powerful and as strong as any other league, if not better than any other league in Europe. So my point being is that I, I want to see us do well in the Europa League. I want to see us take it serious. We've had previous campaigns. I know it wasn't guaranteed group football, but previous campaigns where we've sort of Oh, God, we got a European game tonight. And we never really put out a strong team. They weren't really bothered. It was all about staying in the Premier League. You know, I, I think that we, even if we finish 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, I will take that if we're, if we're doing well and progressing Europe and we have a really good season in Europe. I will take that. You know, I think it's going to be really hard, especially with our lack of squad if you like at the moment we haven't got we haven't got the 25 bodies that we probably need we've probably got 20 21 you know at the, as things stand at the moment i would take a mid-table finish and a really really good run in the europa league and ultimately listen you know if you can get to the final and it's it, it is feasible i know it's a long old uh, trek and everything but you, you win the europa league you're in the champions league and you know we would that would be our ultimate dream and one of the best nights ever in the club's history wouldn't it so um, you know, that I think is there's different challenges that are going to happen during the course of the season. But, you know, it'll all unravel and we'll see how it goes. We'll see what the draw is like with the Europa League. We'll see how strong or how weak the group is. And then we'll all know where we stand with things. And I think the manager will manage accordingly. And like I say, his experience in Europe, we haven't got to worry about that. It's not like we're going into Europe with a manager who's a new manager who hasn't managed in Europe before. He knows what he's doing. And my advice to the fans, and I know it's frustrating at the moment, and I know we're all frustrated talking about it, have confidence in the manager and what hopefully he's trying to achieve over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we will get those two or three players into the squad. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, we're coming towards the end of, uh, of this section. And obviously, James has got a load of questions um, from fans later on. Just one more from, from us guys there. We opened it, of course, with just clarifying whether you had any involvement in the, the PAI or PI Capital, uh, as it's actually pronounced, um, and that takeover earlier on. I know neither of you heard the interview with Philip Beard, the former chief exec at QPR, who's fronting uh, the Pi Capital bid. He did speak on Talksport earlier today. So anyone listening, 
Um, we've had obviously guys on from from Talksport before, um, and it is worth. He was on Jim White and Simon Jordan's show, so if if you haven't heard it already, do go back and listen. Uh, it's on Talksport Catch Up, Jim White and Simon Jordan, and go to midday. He literally came on on the stroke of twelve, so you have to um, you can go through on the the timestamps on their website. So do go back and listen. But I was listening earlier. I knew we had the podcast tonight, so I took down some notes. Um, one thing, he, I'll be honest, just straight away, immediate reaction. He didn't come across very well, Philip Beard. This is with Jim White and Simon Jordan. He was asked about whether a bid has gone in. He said a bid has gone in. West Ham maintained that an official one has not. So, again, I will get in what um, West Ham's stance is because, again, going at this nice and balanced. Um, but this from the Philip Beard earlier on. He said there has been a bid that's gone in. West Ham uh, refute that. He said that um, proof of funds did go in. Currently, West Ham say that the, the manner of proof of funds was not what you'd expect from a professional outfit, certainly not one attempting to take over a Premier League football club. Uh, Philip Beard said that he thought the bid was accepted by David Sullivan, and this is a quote, and he said, now the goalposts have changed. Uh, he described the Olympic Stadium as being underutilised and the Olympic Park. Uh, he he wants to uh, a series of profit generating activities in the park. He discussed about this is all on the Talksport interview this morning. By the way, uh, he said he did confirm that his group are preparing a second bid. Uh, if if you know the first one was even legitimate, he refused to confirm. Simon Jordan, who's brilliant on these things, by the way, put a lot of pressure on. And asked all the right questions, the sort of questions you'd want to hear uh, as fans. Um, Philip Beard refused to confirm that they're in the region of, uh, because Crystal Palace recently had £90 million investment for 20% of the company, which obviously values their football club at around £800 million. So Simon Jordan asked if if that's the region um, that the bid was for West Ham. Uh, Beard refused to confirm that. He mentioned sustainable models. He got a bit clammy when um, Simon Jordan just said, you know, are you just going to run this as the same as, as the current owners? Because ultimately, Ultimately, you are a, a private equity firm. You're looking for returns for your investors. He spoke about hospitality and premium seating. Uh, it seemed to me like he was dodging Simon Jordan's questions quite a lot. And he mentioned that West Ham's performances will be a key priority. Well, those of you listening to the interview or the podcast, just as I did, was if you're going to buy West Ham United Football Club, that should be your only priority, West Ham's performances. And then started talking about music and boxing events. Um, ultimately, he did mention about developing the training facilities, which was good. And then it was talk about Haiti and Afghanistan. Ultimately, it just didn't come across very well at all. And it very much struck me. And again, I know you two haven't heard it, but this is just for those at home who perhaps have and want a bit of reaction from it. It struck me that it wasn't very West Ham focused. Simon put it to him that is it just a property grab? Um Again, I know you haven't listened to it, Tony. So what what have you made of uh, of the whole talk around it and what you have heard and read so far? <clears throat> With all what you read out there, there's so much to digest, weren't there? I mean, um, I know one thing. I know what I'm going to be listening to once, once I've finished this. Yeah, podcast. for sure. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go and have a catch up and see exactly what was said. Um, um, one thing I would say is I can think of a two two easier people to interview you than Jim White than Simon Jordan. They probably he probably could have chose uh, you know two other um, interviewers who perhaps would have given him a bit more of an easier ride. Um, 
Oh, listen, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I find it very difficult to comment on things when I haven't heard the interview. You know, sometimes things can get taken out of context and you've yeah, just thrown a few snippets in there. Yeah, and it'd be, yeah, it would be course. really unfair for me to, to, you know, judge Philip Beard and his intentions. Um, I come back to what I said at the very start of this is the only thing that's important in all this is West Ham United Football Club. Not the current owners, not prospective buyers, West Ham United Football Club. And the the thing with the fans, with whoever takes over this football club, if they take over this football club, they will ask one question, all right? And you've read out some great things that Philip Beard said there and talk, spoke about, etc. Most of the fans will ask one question. How much have we got to spend in the transfer market? That will be the main question, and quite rightly so, that will be the question they'll ask. Because, you know, we've just spent 10 minutes talking about the transfer window activity and everything. And, you know, we all want to see players coming into this football club. Now, to, for players to come into the football club, if it's a case of we haven't got any money available, if that's the case, I don't know, then if someone's going to come into the club to take over, you then obviously want them to have money to spend on players. Otherwise, what is the point of having a takeover? Because you want, obviously, to take the club onto the next level. So, listen, I've got a bit of swatting up to do. I need to get up to date with all what's been said today and you know where these guys are coming from. And uh, you know, then I can obviously give you a lot more of an informed opinion on where we are with things. But um, you know, I just make the point again. I, I want what's best for the football club, and if, if what's best for the football club is this takeover, then great, let's get it on. If it's keep the current owners, then let's keep it going. Whatever it might be, I want what's best for the football club, and I would never say any, anything different. Yeah, absolutely, Jonesy. Again, I know you haven't listened to it yet, mate. I tell you what, we'll do. I'll put a link to uh, for anyone listening at home who hasn't listened yet. I'll put a link to the to the Talksport catch up link in the description to the pod. So it's nice and easy for any of you listening. Obviously, you'll listen to the end of the podcast before you go and click onto that. Don't want you uh, disappearing before we've got to hear uh, what the rest of our fans and the listeners have got to say. Jonesy, you've got some questions from from We Are West Ham listeners for Tony. Just uh, as we come towards the end of what's been an absolutely brilliant podcast yeah i just got a couple of couple of quick ones uh first one from james hawkins on twitter says if you could bring one player from the 86 team in, in the position that you think we need right now who would it be and why oh wow that's a cracker <laughs> it's a, it's a super. That we need in the team right now yeah um it's always hard because you know, we play two up front and we're not really playing two up front and it's always hard. The, the easiest answer for me to give to that question, James, is that if you could parachute a world-class player into the current team, then I think you could do it. Now, in my mind, there was two players in their positions that you could consider as world-class. First one is the goalkeeper, Phil Parks. And I think there would probably be a clamour if you said Phil Parks or Fabianski. I think I'd have to go Parksy. Although with the current day, you know, with clearances and being good with your feet, etc. I don't know with Parksy because he was real. It was a fantastic shot stopper. So there, there is a little question mark there. But a quick answer to the question: World class player, Alan Devonshire. There must be a place in that current West Ham team for Alan Devonshire. And we had some wonderful players in our team. But for me, if I could bring back Alan Devonshire in his pomp, then he would play wherever in the team and you would, you'd move a few players around to get Dev out on that left-hand side and create and do what he did. He was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, next one from WHU underscore Mark Reaper. Uh, it's not Love the that. Mark Reaper. Not the Mark Reaper. Um, no, if what only. Player. What player? <laughs> uh, 
he says, what were your favourite moments at Sky Sports? Favourite moments? Wow. Um, I honestly, I never expected a question like that. I'm thinking I'm on a West Ham podcast and I know I get Sky Sports ones. Um, We've had a couple of messages in while you're thinking about that, Tony. We've had a couple of emails, just not not with questions, just saying how much people enjoyed you on on Sky. Sorry to sorry to know from you again. Yeah, and that's really nice that people people are saying that. Um, Listen, there were loads and loads of great moments, and I I think there was one game up at uh, Wolverhampton. I remember pretty six four. I remember being in the studio, and I think Reading beat Arsenal seven five in the League Cup. It was a crazy result. Um, but it's, I think you more sort of remember the laughs, really, and a lot of the laughs revolved around you doing things wrong as opposed as opposed to doing the things right. And uh, listen, there were too many bloopers that I was involved in, and uh, you know some of them got shown at the you know the clips at Christmas or at the end of the season, and uh, a lot of them <laughs> because you got people like Cammy making so many so many yeah. mistakes. I, I I think Cammy bailed us all out because it was all like <laughs> Cammy Cammy heavy with um, the mistakes and. You know, you know. I mean, Cammy's when he missed the player being sent off is, is iconic, isn't it, for the show? You know, you know, oh, Giddy Jeff and all that stuff, which was brilliant. Um, you know, and I think Merce going mad with Aguero's goal with the Man City when they won the Premier League, and it, it, just so many fantastic moments on the show. And um, yeah, I, listen, I just loved, I loved being a part of it in the twenty years covering the football. And like I say, as as good as the good games were, there's also those bloopers that you remember, and you know. Just, just fantastic times, but time for a new chapter, as I said earlier. Absolutely. Jonesy, have you got any more there, Jonesy? I've, I've got, got one more. I've got one more from, from mine. It's actually from me. Um, and given that you're such a good striker, Tony, uh, apart from goals that you've scored, uh, and you can't mention my goal, I London stayed a couple of months ago. <laughs> no, I can't um, remember yet. <laughs> yeah. What's, None of us can. What's the best goal you've seen from West Ham in a game that you've been involved in? So that you've either played, well, uh, well, that you've either played either for West Ham or against West Ham. Uh, best, best goal, as in best team goal? You mean? I mean, best team uh, goal, best individual goal. Uh, well, I think well, I, I can expand it and say that you've like you've been in the stadium for rather than been involved in. Yeah. Um... I don't know. It's one of them. I've seen so many games, and it all blurs. A lot of it blurs into one, doesn't it? And you know, I mean, a lot of my memories, really, to be honest with you guys, are more from my sort of early days as a kid and following the club. And you just seem that they seem to stay in your mind as a 14, 15, 16 year old. Those memories, as opposed to what happened two seasons ago, where you're trying to remember what, what was that game two years ago, and you can't remember. And you, yet you can remember a game from thirty five years ago. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think. Um, the the FA Cup semi final where Alan Dev scored a sensational goal. He played a little one two and scored against Everton. And then of course Frank Lampard senior dancing around the corner flag. I mean <laughs> memories like that, you know, that will last with me forevermore. Um I think the best team goal that I can remember West Ham scoring in, in pretty much in what well, we did involve myself, it was the goal at Chelsea. And yeah. if anyone's not seen the goal, it's 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 our second goal. We won four 0 on the day at Chelsea. We played on a terrible pitch. And Chelsea were attacking and we, we we headed the ball out of our own box and six passes later, the ball was in the back of the net with uh, as good a team move with third man runs and one-twos and touches and it was just a fantastic goal. So I'll go for the second goal against Chelsea that I did score and it's not because I scored the goal, but it's because it was just the best team goal I was involved in. And then I can take me pick as, as 
so many goals I could go on about, but we we probably ain't got time on a podcast to think that. Exactly. Yeah, we're only talking about. I was up at uh, at Chelsea on uh, Saturday for work, Tony, and I was funny enough talking about that exact game, the West Ham four nil one, only yesterday, and how different Stamford Bridge obviously looks now. But uh, yeah, that's I'm sure a great memory for for loads of West Ham fans who were who were either there or 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 have seen it since. Um, I've just got uh, one more that's come in um, on the emails, Tony from Sasha that says, if you could, uh, undertake one role at West Ham now in, at this stage of your life, uh, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, I I'd don't like... I think, I think I'm afraid centre forward is off the table. Yeah. Unless we take <laughs> the offside rule out. If we take the offside rule out, I might be at a goal. Hang a little bit right. yeah, um, no, I'd, I'd, yeah, listen, I, I, I don't think it would happen, but yeah, I'd quite like to sort of, not even work with the centre forwards, but maybe talk to the centre forwards and just, you know, pass on my experience. I had a, I had a little spell. I had a, I, when Colton Cole was playing, I had a, you know, I had a couple of chats with Colton, and you know, I like to think he appreciated you know, just talking to someone really because if you've been through that scenario, if you if you played in front of big crowds and you played away away games and you've been ten games without scoring a goal like I did, you know, and or you've scored six games on the trot, you know, all these different emotions that you you go through as a footballer, you know, because football ain't, it's not all ups, you know, there's so many downs, there's a lot more downs than there are ups. And, you know, I think there, maybe not just me, but just there must be room for ex-players to pass on their experience. You know, it doesn't have to be a centre forward. In my case, obviously, I'd love to talk to the forwards. No point in me talking about defending, is there? But, um, you know, there's plenty of other great players that have graced our club and many other football clubs as well that, you know, I think some sadly they, you know, the, once you're an ex player, you're an ex player and you're, you're almost not involved in things. And I think that's pretty sad because I think there's a lot of good ex players out there, a lot of good ex people out there that could really, really pass on some great experience. So that, that possibly is one role that I'd be, I'd be tempted with. Excellent. And I think we've already covered this uh, sort of early on, but uh, Richard just says, you know, what he's asked, what, what, what you're planning on doing, what are your future plans? And now you've left Sky. I don't know, Will. I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I've got a few things I'm discussing with people. I, I, you know, I'm obviously, my, my last 20 years has been broadcasting, so maybe there's some opportunities there. Um, as I said earlier, I'd like to be a little bit more involved at the football club with West Ham in whatever capacity that might be. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. You know, like you know, I've got a few talks ongoing, and I, I, I honestly don't. I can't answer the question because I don't. I just don't know. It's only we're only just over two weeks down the line, but you know, obviously, over the the next few weeks and months, hopefully, some great things will come up. And you know, I honestly believe, and so many people have said it to me that you know, one door closes, another door opens, and you know, I've, I've got to take that mentality forward and. Now, rather than sulking about the fact I'm not at Sky anymore, I've got to I've got to move on and be positive, which I will do. Absolutely. Well, let, uh, you know, the, we obviously send our very, very best to you. It's been wonderful to have you on tonight. And we have had a lot of messages come in, you know, lots of Thanks, positive guys. words. I really uh, appreciate about, that. Yeah, you know, you know about I'm, your a, time. I'm a West Ham boy. I'm a hammer first and foremost. So thank you very much, guys. And I'm one of you and I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, that wraps up our uh, Q&A section with Tony Cotty there. Tony, it's been brilliant having you on uh, the show for the full two hours tonight. Um, just uh, we've got a little outro section. We'll have some final thoughts from me, James and Tony on what's been a brilliant podcast. And then we will say goodbye for another week. All of that next. <laughs>
what a podcast this has been this week. It's been an absolute pleasure having uh, West Ham legend Tony Cotty on with us for the full two hours. We hope all of you listening in at home have enjoyed it as much as me and James have. Um, we've got to say goodbye, unfortunately, for another week. Uh, James, I'll throw to you first, mate. It's been an absolute delight. Um, so I, I'm not sure if it's been delightful for me just because I've heard less from you this week than I normally do. It's but Tony <laughs> filling in a little bit more. Um, just some final thoughts, Jonesy, from you on tonight's show, West Ham's uh, performance of the weekend and then your, your feelings and hopes for the season, whatever you fancy talking about, just very briefly. Yeah, I will keep it brief. I mean, first off, it's been a superb, superb couple of hours uh, in Tony. I'm always have loved Tony on. So thanks, Tony, for... For joining us, and uh, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. And um, but for the season ahead, like just don't just need to sign players. If we sign players, I think we'll be all right. If we don't, I'm a little bit concerned. But um, I'm buzzing to get over London Stadium on Monday night. I, I, I've not been since um, I, I scored there, but before then, um, <laughs> how many times? Uh, are you get, man? All the time, all the time, Tony. I've got it time. for a whole season. I'm milking it. I'm milking it, Tony. I'm going to milk it. I'm going to milk it. But yeah, I've not been since that last home game before COVID. Um, so I can't wait to get over there and with, with my mates and just enjoy a good night under the lights at London Stadium with a full stadium. And hopefully we get another three points. Absolutely, mate. Tony, uh, echo James's thoughts here. It's been a real, real pleasure having you on. You are always welcome on this podcast, as you well know. So uh, just any final thoughts from you and any messages you want to send to the to the listeners of the podcast and the, and the West Ham fans? Yeah, just thanks for having me on, Will, James. You know, and uh, I know we've been speaking about doing it and maybe on a little bit more regular basis, but I'll do my best. Just give me a little while to settle down and find out where I'm going with everything and perhaps... Come back on, might be a month's time, two months' time, who knows, but I will definitely come back. I always enjoy talking to you boys. Um, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm like you guys. I just can't wait for Monday night. I really can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it, going as a massive fan. And um, yeah, a couple of beers, go and watch my team play. You know, what more could you ask for on a Monday night? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident without getting carried away. I think we can get a good result against Leicester. And that sets us up nicely for the season. You know, we're not far away from the Europa League draw now. And I'm getting really, really excited about that and the potential where we might be able to travel to. Hopefully, we'll be able to travel to. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's great time to be a West Ham fan. And, you know, my advice is just enjoy it because, um, you know, we very rarely go into seasons where we're all excited and everything seems to be going in the right direction. Yeah, of course, James, you're right. We need a little bit of activity in the transfer market. We've already spoken about that. But hopefully, if we can put that right in the next couple of weeks, then um, I think we're going to look forward to a really, really good season. And, uh, you know, honestly, honestly, think West Ham could do well this year. Absolutely. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Tony Cotty has got to go and have his dinner. Me and James have, uh, have got, got I've got to listen to, a, and... pop, uh, to, a, like, to a Philip Beard now, so I've got to go and have dinner and listen to Philip Beard. You've been told me <laughs> to do that, Will. So You've got to have dinner and do your homework. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> At least well, uh... the boys have really enjoyed it. It has. It's been a brilliant uh, podcast tonight. Thanks so much to Tony Cotty. And just a reminder, you follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Instagram, we're we are West Ham pod. Facebook, just search the We Are West Ham podcast. Same on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us five stars. Write us a review. And more importantly, especially this week when we've had West Ham legend Tony Cotty on for two hours, do tell your friends about us. So, 
West Ham got the season off to an excellent start at Newcastle. Three points away from home, fourth in the table, four goals scored, two conceded, one penalty missed, one VAR decision in our favour. Callum Wilson scored against us again. And within 90 short minutes, we all went from hating West Ham and their frighteningly shaky defence more than anything in the world to being unable to contemplate our lives without our beloved world-beating, flawless, perfect hammers and their unstoppable attack. The Premier League is back, people. Thanks for listening. Up the hammers. West Ham are massive. And we'll see you next week. This week's episode is sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk where you can win some priceless pieces of signed football memorabilia each and every week. In this week's draw, you can win a bumper West Ham bundle which includes a signed and framed Said Benrahma shirt, a signed and framed Trevor Brooking montage and any one of the three West Ham replica shirts from this season. Tickets are just £2.95 each and just 199 tickets will be sold which gives you a fantastic chance of winning. Entries close at 7.30pm on Thursday and the draw is made an hour later live on Facebook. There's been some fantastic signed pieces from Paolo Di Canio, Declan Rice and Vladimir Sufau up for grabs since their launch. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Podcast Network. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 